Summer driving is here, and so are the red-hot deals on the best tire brands at Dobbs. Money saver June deals on new sets of Goodyear, Cooper, Continental, Michelin, and Pirelli tires. Click on GoToDobbs.com to find your next set of tires today. Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. Get ready for winter driving at Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers with super deals on tires, including up to $200 on new Goodyear tires, plus oil changes, brakes, batteries, and more. For value and savings, click on GoToDobbs.com today. This is the BK and Ferrario Podcast, powered by I Promise. Now here's BK and Ferrario. On the near post, tucks it in. A great pass by Perron. Another power play goal and special teams keeping the Blues alive. Seal and Cairo tucks it in and scores. That's it. We're telling stories, Joe. They score when we tell a story. It's 3-3 right off the draw. And Jordan Cairo capitalizes on a Minnesota mistake. Flips it in for Thomas. Towards the goal. Thomas. Oh, score! What a goal by Robert Thomas. He gives the Blues a 4-3 lead. And that'll do it. Bring out the Zamboni. The Blues come from behind, and they get two big points in Minnesota tonight. With Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendricks, and I'm Brandon Kylie. Are you guys sure that I can't jump on the bandwagon? No, nope, you stay. Are you sure that I can't jump on yet? You stay 100 feet of debris because debris might hit you in the face as we continue down this path towards the Stanley Cup. Do you know how hard it is for me right now to not be, like, overwhelmed with joy <laughs> on how exciting it is that the Blues look like they might actually be back? You know, I've been trying to tell you guys for weeks okay. that this was going to happen. You get that trash out of here, and you don't even turn your mic on, T-Bone. Okay. I heard you <laughs> yesterday. I heard you yesterday. Fine, I won't turn it on. Now, I, I thought about it last night because I had a couple of people message me and say, look, if you gave the Blues a second chance, you need to give BK a second oh. chance. So I'm like, okay. You know what? Maybe maybe we allow him back on board. But I left that up to the board because I shouldn't decide that. The former NHL superstar, Jamie Rivers, should decide that. He and I have been the president of this Blues are going to the playoffs fan club. We have never wavered. So I said, I'm going to make this a a dual decision. Jamie spoke last night. It was a simple no. It was a simple Tracy Morgan meme. No, 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 no. Sorry, buddy. Can't get back on. I really want to because the way that they're playing right now, this is the Blues team I remember. This is the Blues team that we all thought we were going to be watching for the entirety of the season. I mean, last night, talk about intestinal fortitude. You, If you watched exclusively the last three games and didn't know anything about the team prior, somebody would come to you and say, hey, Craig Berube called this team soft and fragile roughly 500 times this year. And you'd be like, why? And mentally weak. <laughs> like, <laughs> What do you mean he did that? Yesterday, 
The Blues came back from a two-goal deficit in the third period to win in regulation. They did that for the first time since December 14th of 2019. What? Where'd you get that stat from? December 14th of 2019. That was according to St. Louis Blues history on Twitter. Oh. They outshot the Wild 12-3 to in the third period. Going into last night's game, they were 3-15-1 on the year when trailing after two. Guys, that was the Blues team that has the intestinal fortitude, that's willing to let them hang a little bit. Those and, huevos rancheros. Yeah. What'd you think last night, Alex? I loved everything about it. Look, the, the second period, it was really strange because I was at the point where I'm like, okay, what is going on here? Because they started off great in the first, and we were texting with Jamie River. Sorry, Tanner, we knew you were drinking at the baseball game. Wow. I know you were doing the woo, so we, we didn't want to bug you. But That's true. J- Jamie was right. He said they got to score here because like it was 0-0 and it was back and forth. Minnesota was getting chances. Blues were getting chances. They didn't convert. They had their breakaway and they didn't score. And then Minnesota gets that first one. You're thinking, okay. But when that second one went in in the 32nd mark, BK, I'm like, oh-ish. Yeah. Here we go. Like this is the, oh my God, are we here again? But there's something that there's a flip that has switched with this Blues team that's like, we are never out of this. They get their power play and they cash in, puts them back in the game. The problem was that next shift and you give up that one to make it a two loss again. That again is the, oh, blank me. Are you kidding? Like, how are we in this spot again? But look, Jordan Bennington made a big time save at the end of that second period to keep it a 3-1 game. You go into that locker room. Jordan Bennington was the rally point. I'm going to say that again oh, for God. both of you. We're doing this again, aren't because we? Because BK never <laughs> agrees with this. Jordan Bennington was the rally point. And frankly, I'll give credit to Sammy Blay and Zach Sanford, too. Can I actually too. just to... No, you can't. Like, as a disclaimer, I actually agree with you oh, on okay. this Okay, there's a first. But, but I'll give credit to Sammy Blay and Sanford's line, too, because they went out there at the end of that second period, and they shoved some guys around, and they started it, and then Bennington skates over to Sanford him. Sanford also almost cost him a goal. Well, let, we're, not, we're not dwelling on that. that. Come to the garden, again. Sanford! Oh that guy come to the garden but look you went into that second intermission and Bennington kind of sparked some energy with those guys and they came out flying in the third period it's the never say die attitude from this team it's what willed them to being the first place team last season it's what's willed them in the comebacks this year the blues finally have that hey we're never out of that mentality and we saw it yesterday it comes from depth of scoring, and they got it from other lines that's not named Ryan O'Reilly. I think last night we saw once again the value of having one of the best power plays in the league, and that's what it's been lately. Alex, the Blues power play has scored an eight straight. They're 10 for 23 on the power play in that stretch. It is the longest power play goal streak for the Blues since 2013. Some would say it's on pace for being a franchise best. Hoffman has five power play goals and eight power play points in this streak. And the Blues now have the third best power play in the league this month. It took three and a half months to get here, Alex. It took longer than any of us expected. But we are now seeing the fruits of their labor and we are seeing the Blues The power play is what's keeping them afloat right now. Mm -hmm. Their five on five game isn't as strong as I thought it was going to be coming into the year. They're not quite as deep. And that a lot of that is due to injuries as we thought they were going to be. But when you have something as lethal as Mike Hoffman specifically on the power play, but Vladdy is a part of this. O'Reilly's a part of this. It's the whole thing. 
that is how you are able to overcome a two-goal deficit the way that they did last night in the third yeah, period. Yeah, I mean, the power play, it, it costed the Blues at least five or six games this season where they could have gotten back into it, and it's won the Blues five or six games this season. And frankly, you go back and look at these last seven games, the streak that they're on, power play has been the reason that they've won or been close to all of these and it is Mike Coffin. You finally have put him on the number one unit. But you got to give credit, one to Vladdy, like you mentioned, BK. But you also got to give credit to the defenseman. And for a while there, it was Vince Dunn on the second unit with Hoffman to get him going. And now it's Tory Krug. And watching those power plays last night, they're finally putting the puck into the wheelhouse for Mike Hoffman. Because so many times, they're giving Mike Hoffman the puck and he doesn't have an opportunity to get the one-timer off or he has to hesitate with the shot because it's not on his stick. If you make the right pass, Mike Hoffman can be the most lethal shot, I think, on the power play right now, right next to Alex Ovechkin. That's how good he is. But the funny part about it is the Blues have never had a one-time threat. They haven't had a one-time threat on the power play in a really long time. And they finally do with Mike Hoffman. So you saw Perron's pass to him. You saw Tory Krug make that one-touch pass to Mike Hoffman for the one-timer. When you have that weapon on one side, the goaltender has to cheat a little. And when he cheats, it gives you openings on other times of the ice. And I think that's where the power play is coming through. This is going to kind of be like a coattails thing for the rest of the season. Because while the Blues are building the confidence back at five on five, the power play is getting them through. 65780 is your comfort service text line from the 417. Guys, is BK going to end up losing his Mike Hoffman goal bet? What was our bet exactly on that? I think you're getting a tattoo. <laughs> I thought it was a tattoo, too. Was it, it was my was name. It 20 goals? That's what yeah, we, we said, needed to get to. Yeah, what, 15? He's at 16. Oh, wow. Yeah, you're getting a tattoo. God, I don't remember what the bet was, I think though. It was I don't Hoffman think we tattoo on terms. the back. I thought it was a Hoffman tattoo on the butt cheek. Six, 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 six on one cheek, eight on the other? Yeah. There we go. Oh, yeah. come on. I don't need that. He's going to get there, isn't he? I'm just going to drink my I coffee I think we also said he's not going to lead the team in goals. Oh, what's this we? No, no, you, you are not. Your mic is on. I told you not to oh, turn sorry. that on this segment, right. Tanner. I think I also <laughs> said he's not going to lead the team in goals. And God bless Ryan, Ryan O'Reilly, because I think he's going to prevent that from happening. He's at 20 and Hoffman's at 16. So I, I feel OK about that for the time being. I don't feel great about Mike Hoffman not scoring 20 goals this year. I think I'm going to end up losing that one. And I'm happy that I'm going to. Yeah, I got to go back and listen to find out what the what the bet was because I think it was a tattoo on the butt cheek. Okay, well, we'll find that out. One thing that I do think really stood out to me last night about the Blues and their win. About a month ago, if I had told you in any game that Ryan O'Reilly, David Perron, Jaden Schwartz, Braden Shin, Vladdy Tarasenko, none of them would score a goal. I think we all probably would have come to the same conclusion, especially if I told you the other team scored three. Hey, the Blues lost that game and it probably wasn't pretty. Well, last night, look at who scored your goals for you. It was guys on the third and the fourth line. It was Jordan Cairo coming through. It was Robert Thomas, who is suddenly a goal scorer. What's going on here? And Mike Hoffman, who started the game on the fourth line, worked his way up to the third line and got a little bit more ice time as a result. Those guys coming through, the depth uh, scoring showing itself again for this Blues team, that's a huge piece to the puzzle that they hadn't had for the vast majority of the season that is finally, finally looking like it might be a part of what this Blues stretch run is going to be. Yeah, and I, I told you guys yesterday that I think they need to go 12 forwards and six defensemen because you're going to need that depth of scoring. You're going to need those four lines that you can roll out there. I mean, look, Minnesota found a couple of 
weaknesses that they could exploit, which kind of got them to their opportunity to score some goals on the road. So it's not looking pretty for Zach Sanford to get back into the lineup after that one. I, I mean, I, frankly, his line was the best line in the first period when Mike Hoffman was on it. And when Mike Hoffman scored the goal, they moved him up to the third line and they moved Barbashev down. And then we saw what happened with that turnover. And no coincidence that that line didn't see the rest of the ice in the third period. But they got to find somebody who can play on that fourth line because you finally have a third line that can be effective because the speed and the skill of Robert Thomas and Jordan Cairo. I mean, it's something the Blues have been missing for a long time. I mean, that play that the Jordan Cairo rule to tie things that play came from a four check puck dumped in Hoffman goes and kind of forces the defenseman to 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 drop pass it. Thomas comes in, steals the puck and drops it up to Jordan Cairo and you got the goal. That's what that line can do. But you got to have a fourth line because you can't shorten your bench in the third period. You got to have four lines that you can rely on, but you desperately need these guys. Joey said it on the broadcast last night. This is one of those games that you're saying, okay, Ryan O'Reilly, take over the ship and help us to a victory. But he can't do it every night. And finally, another line said, we got this. And they went out and performed. It was beautiful. Beautiful. The Blues are back in action once again tonight. I'm not jumping on the bandwagon because I have been prevented from doing so. Our friend Jamie Rivers made that very clear on Twitter last night. Yes, he did. Blues versus Wild. Game number two in this series and a back-to-back pregame coverage with Alex Ferrario is coming up tonight at at 6 o'clock on 101 ESPN. Puck drop with Joey and Curbs coming up at 7. We'll talk with uh, Joey Vitale coming up at 1230 today here on the show. It's 1130. You can turn your mic on now. Your time check brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers, an officially licensed Rolex jeweler. We'll get to Mike Hoffman a little bit more coming up here in about 15 minutes or so because I do think there's an interesting question about his future here in St. Louis based on the way that he's been playing. But coming up next, it was the story of the night last night. It's been the story of the morning in baseball as well. Cardinals were put into a bad spot by a rule, and now it's got everybody fired up. We'll talk about it next on 101 ESPN. This is the BK and Ferrario podcast. Now here's BK and Ferrario. Oh, man. Oh, man. It hit him right in the face. It deflected into his face. I don't know if it hit anything. Right? That it hit right in the face directly. Uh, this is what's going to suck. They're going to they're gonna warn both teams now, probably. That's the big leagues. If you if your command's that dang bad, get out. Oh, and he hits D.D. Gregorius now, and D.D. goes down. That was 95 Two to D.D. Two pitches, Gregorius. one in the face, one in the back. Yeah, now warn both teams so we can't hit anyone. That's what it sounded like on the Philly side of the broadcast last night. I think it's fair to say they weren't thrilled about the fact that Hennessy's Cabrera hit back to back Phillies in the game. Well, First, I it was John Crook was fine. Yeah, he wasn't thrilled. Yeah, I thought he was fine. 97 off of the face for Bryce Harper, then uh, right on the ribs for Didi Gregory. It's not great. Not great. That's not what you want to see from Hennessy's Cabrera. And there's been a lot of hot takes coming in on either side of things going into today. I think this one's a little easier to digest than people are making it out to be. Hennessy Cabrera had zero command. Nothing. He didn't know where anything was going yesterday. The first pitch he throws ends up hitting Bryce Harper in the face. There was no intent there, clearly. 
And then in the next pitch, he's clearly rattled. He still has no command and he ends up hitting as a result. Didi Gregorius. He did not mean to do it. It's a tie game. You don't do that in that situation on purpose. There would be no reason to do so. Then there's nothing that the Cardinals can do. They are stuck. There's a three batter minimum. He has to face the next guy. And so he ends up facing him and it comes back to bite the Cardinals. They end up losing the, uh, the tie game there. The Phillies go ahead. So what do you do? Well, everybody loses. Hannesis Cabrera loses because he was kept in the game longer than he should have been. Mike Schiltz loses because there's nothing he can do. The home plate ump, all of the ump, the ump crew, they lose because they have to at that point warn both teams. I know people aren't happy about it, but they had to do it. It was the right thing to do in that spot. And then the Phillies lose because their star player got hit in the face with 97. And Didi Gregorius is out of the lineup today because he got hit in the ribs with 95. So Alex... I don't know what people want in terms of an explanation for that other than the three batter minimum is a significant part of what happened last night. It was an unintended consequence of that rule, and that's how it all went down. Yeah, look, I mean, the first and foremost, the thing that we need to be talking about is that Bryce Harper's okay. I mean, he put a video out on Instagram, and it's like, you know, thank God that nothing crazy happened to him. I mean, we saw what happens when a ball hits somebody in the head with Daniel Ponce de Leon. But then from there, it's like, I I mean— it really feels like people are blowing this out of proportion because there was no intent here. It's not like these two teams hate each other. If this was the Cincinnati Reds, then I could understand people coming on the air and saying, oh, what are they doing? You know, blah, blah, blah. This guy needs to be suspended. There was no intent from either of these teams. Now, let me ask both of you this, because you were already in a bad predicament after you hit Bryce Harper. Like, Henesis Cabrera looked rough there, and that was his second. It was his first hitter. So Gregorius was, was his second hitter. he threw. When you hit Gregorius, if you're Mike Schilt, and you know there's that three batter minimum, you got two guys on already. It's a close game. Do you just walk the next batter and then say, let's get this guy out because it's obvious he doesn't have it? He's not going to get out of this inning. It's a 3 3 game. That's a tough part. I, I hear you, and there is definitely something to be said for that. But. It's a tie ball game, and now you've got runners on first and second, and yeah. you're about to load the bases by intentionally walking a guy because you got to take your pitcher out. But the reason I, I say that is, it. what's worse, having two on where two guys have gotten hit, and obviously Cabrera has no command, so he's either going to throw more wild pitches or hit somebody, or load the bases up, and yeah, that's not a good predicament to be in, but maybe you could bring somebody in with a little more command and give up one run. It, it was just something I was thinking about last night, but, but back to the main point with... Cabrera, can we stop this, send the guy down or suspend him because he shouldn't be at the major leagues? Like, this is only the second time this season he's hit somebody. It's obvious that things got away from him. There was no intent. You could see that he was flustered from it after that. So let's move forward with it. And it's a reference, what you're talking about there. John Heyman, who is a uh, writer reporter for MLB network. He tweeted earlier today, the Cardinals should send Hennessy Cabrera down to the minors. He didn't hit Harper or Gregorius on purpose, but he's clearly not competent enough to be in the majors at this point. It's just trash. It's a ridiculous take coming into that game. He had hit two of the last 123 batters that he had faced. Does he have command issues sometimes? Absolutely. Is he consistently going out there and throwing 97 at another dude's face? No. That was a wildly erratic pitch that got away from him, and you never want to see it. It can't happen. If you're somebody on the text line right now, and I know there are a few of them, uh, that say, like, hey, that cannot happen, and there's got to be something that's done about it, I hear you. And maybe in that spot, the best case scenario would have been the home plate ump throws uh, Genesis Cabrera out 
because he doesn't have any command and you're doing so for safety reasons. Yeah. But Or you make an exception for the three-pitcher minimum. When a can't. guy gets plunked it's in the rule, face. Man. It's a rule, and I, I don't well, like the rule, but that's, it's a rule. Then rather than being ticked off, whether you're Joe Girardi or John Cruck or John Heyman, whether than being mad at Mike Schilt for leaving him in or Hennessy Cabrera for hitting Bryce Harper, get mad and pissed off at Rob Manfred because that's a dumb rule. When a guy hits somebody in the face and he obviously has no command and then the next pitch hits another batter, change the dang rule and pull the guy out of the baseball game because he doesn't need to be in there. Yeah, I'm with you. It, it's tough because he couldn't be ejected. Like you said, BK, it was a lose-lose for everybody. And what? And to the point, Alex, where you said, well, would you have walked him? I, I think you. I think Schilt considered it. I really do. I think you considered it and said, we may just have to bite the bullet here. But I think part of it, too, is you, a guy that just drilled two guys in back-to-back pitches, somehow you're going to have to get the confidence back in him. And the, I think part of the way of doing that at that time may have been, hey, we're going to leave you out there. We know Maddox went and talked to him immediately. Right after he hit Harper in the face, yeah. Maddox was out there right after that to go talk to him and try and calm him down. Of course, didn't necessarily work because right. he drilled Gregorius. <laughs> he but tried. I, I, think, I think sticking with him in that spot was the right decision, and it, it is tough. I, I'm not exactly happy with how this has played out with Cabrera just drilling. And I get it. Look, he had no command. And the three batter rule is stupid. It should never have been put in place. It doesn't help with pace of play. It doesn't I'm help with anything. Take, to well, and to it be take, fair, I, I agree with you on this And one. it takes strategy out of the game, too. So I, I hate the three batter minimum rule. The, and I understand the argument of they should have ejected him. I think they should have after he hit Gregorius. And I get it. Well, how, how do you tell Mike Schilt that you ejected him because he had no command? At that point, Mike Schultz probably not going to argue. He yeah. may come out Mike there. Mike Schultz wanted to take him out of the game. Yeah, yeah. so Schultz might come out there to stand up for his player and say, oh, well, you can't eject him because he has no command issues. But on the inside, and he even said in his press in his presser after the game, he would have pulled Cabrera. So I think the best decision for the umpires was no warnings, eject Cabrera. To me, that was the best thing they could have done. Whether You, you had can to sell give warnings that, there. You had to. I, I'm okay with not giving the warnings. Look, if, that was if the you sin- don't give warnings, there's going to be beanball not coming back. Not in that close forth. game. There absolutely would that, have been. That close game, with you can't do flaring, it. Uh, Phillies, the Phillies would have gone out there the next inning and threw you a Cardinals. If you're up, if you're up five, what was it, five to three at that point, you can't four hit, three. You, four three. You can't bean someone, even if it's yeah, four. Even if your tempers are flared, you bean someone when you've got the game. But those are your two top players, and you're going to do that no matter what. Like you're up by two runs, you're going to go out there and bean somebody. Look, if that was the Cincinnati Reds game. Cabrera would have been ejected after that second one. Even if there was no intent, he would have been he ejected. He would have been ejected after the first one. You think so? After the I history, think they would have probably. allowed it. Yeah, I guess that's true with the history. But that that's just the, that's the dumb part for me. Like, throw the guy out of there. Or let Mike Schilt take him out of the game. Yeah, uh, I think that there there should be some sort of way that they can go about this for the safety of the players, right? If I think what the rule needs to be, I think they should get rid of the three batter minimum. We can talk about that here in a second. But... I think what the rule needs to be, and maybe there's an emphasis that you put on it. It doesn't even have to be a rule. If the home plate umpire sees that for the safety of everybody involved, the pitcher should be removed from the game, he should have the authority to do that. And there shouldn't have to be a reason for it, right? He, he goes over to the manager, says, hey, your guy doesn't have it. Go to the bullpen. We'll give you a few a few minutes here to be able to get somebody could warmed the, up. Could the pitcher remove himself from the game? Like, what if Cabrera just says, I'm not doing this anymore. I'm done for the night. And you just have to make up an injury. That ha- that have to be the way yeah. that he goes about it. But let's get to the three batter minimum for a second here. Because Mike Schiltz was asked about this after the game. And Tanner, you referenced his comments. He was pretty clear that this is one of the unintended consequences of that rule. We got Webby up immediately. You know, we would have figured out a way to get him in the game at that point and had some time. But, you know, that's the rule. And 
and then it led to I was gregarious getting hit and just a, just an unfortunate scenario and you know I completely understand their aggressive response uh, you know Joe handled it appropriately you know he's got to stand up for his guys and made an appeal to the umpires about uh, maybe getting him out of the game to to, to maybe cabbie's benefit but you know again they issued warnings and and that was that was appropriate as well I suppose so here's the thing with the three batter minimum, because I know that's going to be one of the topics of discussion today. It should be one of the topics of discussion after what we saw last night. I think that I understood why they did this in the beginning, and I actually agreed with the rule change. I thought it was a good thing for baseball that they were going to the three batter minimum. I've changed my thought process on this, and part of it is because I thought in the beginning it was going to help alleviate some of the issues that baseball was running into with pitchers, starters in particular, being pulled so quickly well it hasn't done that pitchers are being pulled as early as they ever have before we're seeing more and more guys go four or five innings and with only 26 men on the roster and typically teams going with 13 pitchers there's only so many relievers that you can have on the roster the loogie the left-handed you got to get a guy out that guy that was on the roster 10 years ago I think that job was going to be extinct, whether it was going to the three batter minimum or just allowing things to play out naturally the way that they have now. Those guys just they don't hold the same value that they once did because you've got to get more innings out of your relievers than you have ever before in the history of baseball. And so if you got rid of the three batter minimum, would there be some innings that lasted forever, especially in the playoffs? Hundred percent. That would happen. But you also prevent things like last night from happening. And I don't think it would be as common of an occurrence where a guy comes in for one batter as it used to be. I don't think that would be the case anymore. So I think that if baseball decided to remove this rule, there wouldn't be a whole lot of unintended consequences from it. And there's clearly some unintended consequences from having it. Yeah, I mean, it's it's just a dumb rule, in my opinion. And I understand what they're trying to do. You're trying to keep the game shorter and you're trying to make things a little bit more of a um, entertainment side of things with the manager having to make decisions and leaving a guy in there, but it's just, it's a dumb rule now. And when something like that happens and you can see a guy is frazzled, like you can see the guy is, it looked very similar to Jack Flaherty when he uh, hit India in the head. And it's like, man, you're like in Flaherty was a little bit more composed than Henesis Cabrera, but still it's like, man, that next pitch is going to be nasty because the guy's shaken up. So it's a crazy rule in itself, and the, and I was also thinking, if that doesn't hit Bryce Harper, are we even having this conversation? And is it in the face? And he no, hits if, the it, next if batter? it hits him in the arm. Well, even if it hit Bryce Harper in the arm, we're not having this conversation. It's the fact that it hit him. If it doesn't hit him in the face, are we even having this conversation? Not the same way that we are today. I think we still talk about, though, if you hit back-to-back guys and it's clear you have no command. Yeah, yeah. I just, it's not blown out of, the part that gets me, and I, I've talked with Mike Claiborne in the past, and like, Henesis Cabrera is a really good dude. The part that gets me is when people start taking like shots at him, like, oh, he's doing this on purpose, or send him down to the minors because he can't play at the major league level. That's a little ridiculous, in my opinion. Absolutely. I did want to get to one final thing. NBC Sports in Philadelphia, they have their post-game show, kind of like Bally Sports Midwest does. I want you guys to be able to hear the post-game uh, interaction between those guys on what they think could happen next. There might be an opportunity tomorrow, depending on how the game, the flow of the game's going, where maybe you can take a shot and retaliate. You know what really irked me? We just saw it. Mike Schilt from the bench yelling at Joe Girardi. Sick. Are you kidding me? Shut up and sit down on the bench. 
What he had no right to say anything at that no, point. I agree. I agree. But you know, again, I'm protecting my players. Joe's yelling at our pitcher. I can't let the other manager yell at our players. Yeah, give it. Give me a freaking break, John. To, I'm go, so to go sick of this crap. So that's what it sounded like in Philadelphia on NBC Sports Philly last night. I will say this: what Schilt said in that spot, you could clearly read his lips. He said, "I can't take him out, Joe." Because he couldn't take him out for the three batter minimum. He's not yelling at anybody. He's yelling at them because they're yelling at Mike Schilt. Because Joe Girardi motioned to Schilt and said, take him out of the ball game." And Schilt's response was, I can't. I would love to, but I can't do that right now. In response to the beginning of that, where Kruk says, hey, you know, there might be a situation tomorrow where they can retaliate. I hope that doesn't happen. There should be warnings that are given to both teams before this game today. I know there's going to be people that disagree with that. There should be warnings that are given. And if somebody throws at somebody else from the Phillies to the Cardinals or the other way around, that wouldn't happen. They should be thrown out of the game. And then they're probably going to end up suspended. This this policing amongst themselves, I get it. That's been the way that it's happened forever. It's not that doesn't mean that it's the right way. Just because you've done something forever doesn't mean that it should continue to be done that way. I, if I'm a Cardinals fan today and you get into the seventh inning, it's eight to one, whichever way. Right. And Nolan Arenado is coming up to the plate with some no name Phillies reliever coming into the game who's ready to risk it all to throw one at the ribs of Nolan Arenado. That shouldn't happen. And it's ridiculous that that is accepted in baseball, in my opinion. I think if it gets to that point, Mike Schultz pulling all those guys out of the game. Pulling Nolan Arenado out. Sure, and let's, Goldschmidt. Say, let's say it's three to one. No, or four I get to what one, you're right? saying, though. It's 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 a dumb aspect of the game, and it shouldn't even be in there. And I agree. I I would imagine the umpires are going to warn everyone before this game starts. And I don't see Philly doing that because you can't really jeopardize a game like that with Aaron Nola on the mound if you get him tossed. So yeah, it would be the seventh or eighth inning when if it's a blowout or something like that, and you let a guy go out there and start heaving. But kind of interesting too that uh, this is what the third game fourth game that Cardinals are getting uh, talked a lot about in the negative tone because of instances. This is the third time this year. Third time with the Reds thing and then this last night and, and then, then this last today. night. Yeah. Yeah, I the, I don't expect the Phillies to retaliate today unless it is a blowout. If it's close, 3-1, 4-1, you're not going to retaliate. If it's a close game, you cannot afford to put someone on base, whether you want to call it retaliation, it's an accident, whatever. You just cannot afford to do it. Yeah. So I would not – the only way I see it retaliation is if this thing becomes a blowout. I hope it doesn't happen. I Again, I understand that there are a lot of people that are baseball lifers that will tell you they should police the game amongst themselves, and I get that, and this is just – a. A disagreement on that. I, I, I understand that people are going to call me a wimp for it. I get it. Um, but so, just my, my personal viewpoint on someone it. Someone just said you're saying a pitch doesn't deserve to be thrown at anybody for repercussions. But in the NHL, we glorify guys beating each other's asses. Yeah, because <laughs> a punch isn't a 97 mile an hour fastball to the forehead. The the hitters going up there defenseless. In hockey, it's two guys that agree to fight each other and punch each other in the face. They do have I some padding on still. Yeah, this is a little different. I've never seen a hitter go, yeah, right here, right here. Yeah. Hey, <laughs> yeah, please. Hey, I'll, I'll, hey, right here. I'll wear this yeah, one. You, yeah. you, I got you. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line. Questions and answers coming up in about 15 minutes. Coming up next, if the Blues are going to make a run, it's going to be in part, in significant part, because of Mike Hoffman. I can't believe Did I just said that. Say? We'll talk about it next. This is the BK and Ferrario podcast. Now here's BK and Ferrario. Mike Hoffman, 
Newman on the near post, tucks it in, a great pass by Perron. Another power play goal and special teams keeping the Blues alive. I thought Hoffman had good jump all game too. He was on his toes. He was he was determined out there. Um, not just the goal he scored in a power play, the first goal he scored in a power play, but you know just his play in general. If the Blues are going to go on a run, Mike Hoffman is going to be one of the main main reasons for that run. You, Without started, a, you started through that because it was hard to say. Try it again. It's tough. <laughs> Take two. If the Blues are going to go on a run this year, boys, Mike Hoffman is going Ooh. to be one of the main reasons for that run. He has 10 points in his last seven games. The Blues power play is on an eight-game power play goal streak. That's one of their best that they've had. It is the best they've had since 2013. These things are not a coincidence. Alex, I can't believe I'm saying this, but uh, that guy is as important as just about any player on this team moving forward. I can't believe you're saying it either, man, because I mean, this was a guy that we, we were talking about trading for anything that they could was. get for it. But <laughs> I got a second round pick for him. You were going to take a sixth round pick I... and some hockey sticks for him, Tanner. Yeah, just the hockey sticks would have been fine. Look, Mike I just Hoffman... wanted some gooey butter cake, honestly. <laughs> he might too, actually. Since the trade deadline... He's got nine points in six games. And of those nine points, four of them are goals. Like, that's a big deal. And the part for me that I'm starting to notice on the ice is Mike Hoffman playing the Craig Berube system. And he said it on that return there. Go back and watch that Jordan Cairo goal. The Jordan Cairo goal doesn't happen unless Mike Hoffman is pushing the board, play the four check. He kind of forces the defenseman to drop, pass it to Mike to Matt Dumba, and then Matt Dumba goes back up the ice to Jordan Cairo because Robert Thomas is pressuring. He, with that fourth line, was playing a very good brand of hockey in the first period. He scores that power play goal. Craig Berube shifts him to the set to that next line with Jordan Cairo and Robert Thomas. And lo and behold, the guy has six shots and three goals and played 13 minutes and 18 seconds of ice time, which is three more minutes than what he played the night before against the Colorado Avalanche. Yeah, I think we should maybe reel it in a little bit on him playing like this. Craig Berube style. Uh, he, he was. was. That was a forecheck. He yeah. was forechecking. He, he's done that from time to time. I'm just saying, like, consistently, I, I'm not sure that that's the guy that he is. But that's fine. That's fine. I, I, I don't want to, like, hone in on that because that's not why he's here. He, he's not here for that stuff. He's here to score goals. That's why he was benched is because he wasn't scoring goals. And that's why I, we are now talking about him and what his future could be here in St. Louis is because he is scoring goals again. And they've got him on the top power play unit. He's been outstanding on that. And Alex, I do think it is worth having the conversation of since he has become such an important piece to this puzzle. Do you consider keeping him around a little while? And Jeremy Rutherford was on with the morning show character and Smallman earlier today he does not think that's going to be the case, but I do think it's worth at least asking the question. I know he wants to win. He, he, he's a winner. And so that's where kind of the root of his uh, having success here is lately. But let's not forget that, uh, you know, he's going to be a free agent and he's going to be playing for a contract the rest of the season for next year. So he's really opening some eyes with his play. But I think between uh, all the questions about it being the right fit, you know, let's face it, he, he got bumped up to the third line last night from the fourth line. That's not what Mike Hoffman wants to be doing. And, and I think he's going to find another home next year. I get that. And I understand where Jeremy's coming from. But if you look at the offseason for this Blues team, it really makes me kind of wonder if they do look at bringing Mike Hoffman back because look Vladimir Tarasenko has dealt with a lot of injuries and I think he will get back to form and look he's got a no trade clause so you can't move him but Mike Hoffman 
is scoring more goals than Vladimir Tarasenko. Now, I understand he hasn't played as many games. Tarasenko came back, so so understand where I'm coming from with this. But Mike Hoffman is a legit one-time threat on the power play, five-on-five. He's on pace to score 30 goals in a normal season, 35 goals in a normal season. The Blues haven't had that in a really long time. But the part for me where I'm sitting here wondering is Jaden Schwartz and Mike Hoffman. Now, Jaden Schwartz matches a Craig Berube system to a T. But the problem is he's going to get a raise. You're probably going to have to pay him somewhere between five and a half to six million dollars a year. He's two years older than Mike Hoffman, but he's also not a goal scorer compared to Mike Hoffman. Now, he is a goal scorer, but it's in a streakiness rather than Mike Hoffman, who if you put him in the right scenario, he's going to score goals, power play, even strength, whatever it may be. You have eight forwards under contract next season, along with eight defensemen and two goaltenders. Your defensemen are set. I think your goaltending's set. You got to figure out what you're doing in the forward position. And right, right now, you need more offense. You have $18 million next year. And Mike Hoffman's probably going to command somewhere between $6 million per year. So is Jaden Schwartz. So for me, it comes down to the point of would you rather have Jaden Schwartz for the next three to five years, or would you rather have Mike Kaufman for the next three to five years? Can I ask you a second uh, follow up question to that? Uh, I will allow it. So when you sign a player, are you allowed to just like you tell them that they're signing with you or do they have to agree to that as well? What do you mean? Like the the player has to also sign that contract, right? Because I don't think that Mike Hoffman's signing up for this again. And that's the part that comes very interesting. Yeah. Because, yeah, I don't know. Now, I don't think Mike Hoffman is all that interested in playing this style again next year where he's playing 12 minutes a game and he's on the fourth line out there and he's getting his work mostly on the power play unit and he had to fight for 45 games to be able to get on that top power play unit. Yeah, I'm going to go ahead and guess he's a mercenary right now. He's going to do everything the Blues ask him to do. He's going to play his best uh, his best game because he's fighting for a paycheck right now. Let's be honest. And then he's going to go get that money somewhere in the Eastern Conference next year where he can go back to playing the style of hockey that probably best fits his game. And I understand that. And yeah, I mean, things have not gone pretty for Mike Hoffman here in St. Louis. I'm sure things are a little sour for him. But this season was a, hey, you're going to be a part of this team because we have the pieces in place. Next season might be a, hey, we need a goal scorer on the top six. And right now we're not sure if we have some of those guys. So maybe Mike Hoffman becomes a top six goal scorer. It's just something to think about. And I'm watching that play last night and I'm thinking the Blues haven't had that threat on the power play in a really long time. Like I know they have David Perron, but David Perron's a streaky scorer. They've had Vladimir Tarasenko, but Vladimir Tarasenko is not that one-time threat. Vladimir Tarasenko is the... Uh, lethal shot when he gets the right opportunity and net front presence too, <laughs> and the net front presence. And that's great if he's going to play that way. But Mike Hoffman is something that you don't have on this roster. And it is just a pure goal scorer with a lethal slap shot. I like having him here. I didn't for a long time, yeah, but right now, now that he's in the right role and I can see what the vision is for him. I, I understand it and it makes a lot of sense. And I think he's really important for what the blues are going to try to accomplish as they move forward here and when they get to the playoffs, not if, when they get to the playoffs, he's going to be a big piece of it. Is that how you're trying to like buy your way back onto the bandwagon? I'm doing my best, man. But that being said, I do not think he's somebody that fits with what Craig Burby wants to do over the long haul. I don't think that it would be a great fit for him. I don't think it would be a great fit for the blues, especially if he's looking for a long-term deal. I wouldn't sign up for that. And I would be very surprised if he would sign up for that with the blues. I think they need somebody that kind of has a similar skill set to him, 
but that plays with a little bit more grinding of a style. I think that's the type of guy that you should be looking for in the open market this offseason. That's a hard thing. Like They are very rare to find players that are, are lethal with a shot and just goal scorers that are willing to play that that 200 foot style like even Alex Ovechkin he's better defensively than what he was in the past but he's still not a guy there's a difference between a Ryan O'Reilly and a Braden Shen and a Mike Hoffman and I think you have to have both of those guys if you want to have success in the NHL but you got to have somebody that's a little bit more willing or at least able to play the style that Berube wants if Berube is going to be here long term and I think we all expect that that's going to be the case so I would be surprised if he resigns uh, yeah, I would be surprised if he ends up resigning here in St. Louis. Honestly, I would too. I would be surprised if he signs here. But uh, it, if I'm going into an offseason where I'm looking at two players that are going to be commanding the same amount of money and Jaden Schwartz and Mike Hoffman, I love how Jaden Schwartz plays, but I also love goals. And yeah. Mike Hoffman has that over Schwartz. I would go with Jaden Schwartz, but I might be looking to the open market to see what my other options are as well. With Alex Ferrari on Tanner Hendricks, and I'm Brandon Kiley. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service Tax Line. Questions and answers coming up next. This is the BK and Ferrario podcast. Now here's BK and Ferrario. Comfort service text line for questions and answers coming up in about 15 minutes. Tyler O'Neill's really going to make us a believer again, isn't he, boys? We'll get into that here in just a little bit. But let's start with this. Tanner, how yes. was the game last night, man? Oh, it was great. It, it felt, you know, it felt kind of weird not seeing it at full capacity, which I don't know if I've, unless I've sat through a rain delay before, but it was good. I mean, it, it felt safe, felt comfortable, had everybody well socially distanced. Really good game. Okay, I don't care about any yeah, of this. How say, was the hot dog? Yeah, oh, was, I know that that was know, something you've been dog, looking forward okay, you're to. Sending, for you're like sending weenie pics to BK, and I, you need to tell oh, us what's oh, up. Hey, oh. Uh, so here's the thing. I didn't even want to have... We ate dinner before the game, and my, we went to get beers. I, I don't know what it was, like a sixth inning or something. that you did yeah, that. Why would you eat before you go? You, you're like Mr. Hot Dog. Guys, I got a great cheeseburger at a place. Come on. But anyways, McDonald's. we went. No, it was McDonald's. White Castle. White Castle. <laughs> Bingo. Got six of them. So uh, we went. To, we were getting drinks, and my uncle said, "You know, you're at a ball game. You gotta have a hot dog. First game since like 2019." I was like, I'm "Not really hungry, but okay." Guys, regretted the decision immediately. Regretted it. You I was not hungry. And I had to eat a hot dog. What, did somebody force it down your throat? Yeah, I did. Ew. It wasn't that great. Wouldn't do it again, huh? Plus, plus, I it, was, if I plus was it was a dry hot dog. Like, put something on it for once, man. It's disgusting. Uh, a little mustard? No, there was no mustard on the picture you sent us. Well, I, I did it right yeah, as was I it, unwrapped it. was wrapped it. up yeah. when you sent it to us. No, it was unwrapped. I just unwrapped Which, it. I by took the way, a photo that is very, and then put That is very unsafe when it's raining out. It wasn't raining. You could let the dog be free. It's completely dry. Never. And, was I, and I was undercover. When I went, out, guys, went out in public, never let the dog I free. could not have talked to Miller if I wanted to last night. Because he wasn't listening? No, I was down the right field line. Oh, well, and he was where your seats are. Yeah, he ended up playing third base yesterday. What yeah. was going on with that? He's that better strange. defensively there than left field. How many beers did you have at the game last night? 17. Three. Three? Only three? Yeah. yeah. Okay, guys, let's not act like I went there to drink like 10. <laughs> eh, well, I, didn't, I, I think that was the goal. I, didn't, I, I thought did that not, was what you were going for. I, I did for. not go to the concession stand. Just, hey, give me that bucket that we got the beers in. Come on. Okay. I know Danny Mac was helping you out by three, his, buying you a few beers. Yeah, he covered all three. That was very nice. Thanks, Danny Mac. That was very nice. Six I'll seven, take my next, Dan. <laughs> it's the Air Comfort Service Tax Line from the 314. Hold on. Tanner is old enough to drink? I know. Who it surprises knew? me, too. Surprises on, me too. 
Uh, all right. 65780 is the air comfort service X line from the 314. Hey, guys, Paul DeYoung's been uh, struggling this year. Is he, is his future on the bench while Edmund is at shortstop and Gorman is at second? Or do you still view him as the future at short? I still think he's the future at short. I mean, his defense is really good. Um, and, and I mean, it, look, if he's not a four or five hole hitter for you, I think he could be a really good six hole hitter for you. I mean, he still has the potential to hit bombs. Probably going to strike out, but he's always got the potential to hit some doubles for you too. So I think he's still a future because he's so cheap, but I guess it really comes down to how Nolan Gorman pays. If Nolan Gorman plays and forces the hand of the Cardinals to say, Paul, look, we love you, but Nolan's hitting right now and we'll move Tommy to short and we'll be set. So I guess it comes down to where Gorman's position's at. Yeah, I think right now he is the future shortstop, but I think part of him being cheap could be a benefit too. If you if you decide that he's not the guy, but yeah, right now he is. I, I don't know. I like Edmund at second. I don't know if I want to move him. If I'm going to move him, it's probably going to be to the outfield, not to shortstop. So second or the outfield is Edmund's spot, depending on how Gorman looks at second base. But yeah, I think right now Paul DeYoung's your shortstop of the future. You don't have an internal candidate to be a shortstop if Paul DeYoung isn't that oh, guy. What about Edmundo Soso? He's so-so. And I that. don't expect any of the guys that are currently at least close to the big leagues to replace Paul DeYoung. If you're going to do that, it is external, and the options coming from the outside are going to be expensive. So I think Paul DeYoung is still your answer there. Unless they get creative with some kind of a trade. And I don't foresee that happening. And you mentioned his defense, Alex. Oh, he's good defensively. Something Oof. to keep an eye on, too. He's kind of starting. If you're, I'm looking at his metrics now, and I'll be honest, I don't understand half of these. But his his metrics are also going down, too. The defensive metrics show that his range factor is down and all oh of that. God. So if he Enough becomes with worse, the range factor. If he Jeez. Becomes, but if he continues to be bad defensively, you can't. You can't How many errors does he have this season? Well, I don't know. There's also a lot of balls that he hasn't gotten to. Right? Well, yeah. How many errors has he had? I haven't looked it up. I don't know. To be I would say zero. I three. know this. In term- He's got three airs this season. That's surprising. In terms of the outs above average, which is one of the metrics that is most common for defense, it is super early, and this stuff is you need a really large sample size before it really matters, unless it is on one of the extremes. If you are better than everybody at outs above average early in the season or you are worse than everybody, that typically tells you a pretty good story. He's in the one percentile, which means 99% of defenders in baseball this year have been better than Paul DeYoung. He's been rough defensively. He, he, needs to, he needs to patch that up, especially if the offense isn't going to be the way that we expect it. I was say, if he does, if he hits like this, how can you tell him as a future shortstop if he's not hitting and his defense goes down? 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line. I got one for you, Alex, from the 618. Guys, Gabriel Landeskog. Uh, is a free agent after this year. I know there have been talks no. about an extension, but do you think he would be a good fit with the Blues if he does make it to free agency? If he made it, yes, but it won't happen. Gabriel Landeskog has been outspoken of how he's willing to take a hometown discount to keep the team together. And why wouldn't you? I mean, if you're Gabriel Landeskog, you've been in the league now for 12 years, 10 years, 10 years and you haven't won a cup, this is your best opportunity to win a cup if you don't win it this season. And honestly, their cup window's wide open. So if he made it to free agency, yeah, he would be an awesome fit because he's a power forward. He can score goals. He's been a captain. Um, but I can, I can comfortably tell you it won't happen because he's 
been outspoken of the fact he's going to be willing to take significantly less money than what he would make on the market just to stay in Colorado. What if he didn't? What if there wasn't a deal that made sense for him in, in Colorado? I think there's going to be, but just go down this hypothetical scenario with me. He's going to cost what you a lot. What do you think he would end up getting on the open market? Oh, seven to eight million dollars. If he's if not more. If he's going to get that and Jaden Schwartz going to get like six. I mean, you go that route, right? Yeah, but six you can make work in your salary situation. Seven or eight, I don't think you can. Especially when you got $15 million tied up between Tarasenko and O'Reilly on top of $13 million tied up between Krug and Falk. Now, does one of those guys get selected in the expansion draft and that opens up $8 million for you? Then, yeah, you can make it happen in a heartbeat. And he's a perfect person to be on the top line for you. Like, I don't... Don't misinterpret what I'm saying, and I understand it's a hypothetical situation. He would be awesome for this Blues team. Plays the North-South style, bang around guys on the four check. He'll get in front of the net, power play presence. But again, I, I think, honestly, I could see him signing for like $4.5 million and staying in Colorado. So what I heard there, Tanner, is great fit might happen for the Blues. All right, now you're putting words in my mouth, and you know what happens with that? You get a tattoo of 68 on your butt. With Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kiley. Coming up next, is Tyler O'Neill going to make us a believer again? We'll talk about it here on 101 ESPN. This is the BK and Ferrario podcast. Now here's BK and Ferrario. Lifted in the air, out to deep left, goodbye. McCutcheon didn't even move. He knew that baby was launched. That's what it sounded like last night. Tyler O'Neill has been excellent in his return. Whoa. I dropped my hot dog on that one. <laughs> you picked it up and eaten it, didn't you? Oh, yeah, that was a shot. Six for 18 with Gross. three homers, three strikeouts, and one walk since his return from the injured list. And you can look at any metric you want to. Tyler O'Neill has been excellent so far in his return to the big leagues he's not walking the way that you'd like but whatever you live with that the power has been there exactly and since he's returned guys he has made contact 15 times of those 15 your favorite stat alex ferrario he has eight hard hit balls dumb stat and six of them (laughs) have been hit at at least 100 miles per hour off of the bat how many of them dropped here's a question to you okay are you buying in or is he pulling you back in again? Are you becoming a believer in the Tyler O'Neill experience? Yeah. Did you see that home run? I did. I watched it, man. I dropped my hot dog on it. No, I didn't. I didn't need a hot dog. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm buying back in because exactly what I told you. He's not paid to walk. Frankly, I don't know how much he's paid. Probably not that much, but he's paid to hit home runs. He's paid to be a power hitter. And he is doing that right now. Are we going to get strikeouts? Yeah, probably. Are you going to get a lot of them? Probably. But, hey, he's my, when when Yachty is back, he is my 6-7 hole hitter. And as a 6 or 7 hole hitter, if I'm getting a home run every 8-10 at-bats, I'm feeling pretty good about myself. So, yeah, I'm back in on Tyler O'Neill. Plus, his defense is a lot better than Justin Williams, so I'm feeling pretty comfortable with him out in the outfield rather than Justin Williams right now. Yeah, I'm buying back in, too. He, he looks comfortable at the plate. Last night, 3-for-4, 
and he was able. To, and the, the positive sign for me was that he took a pitch and hit it the other way. And and to me, yeah. that's a that's a great sign for Tyler O'Neill because if he's using the whole field, which he's more than likely not, he was going doing that to, in spring training too, though. Yeah, but but he's more than likely not going to do that because he's more of a pole hitter, so he can get that power swing like we saw last night. But if he's able to go the other way, take pitches the other way. I think it's just going to grow O'Neill's game. We're going to see a higher average kind of to that mark that we want to see. We're about about 250, and then you'll still get your 30 home runs. So here's my question. I was looking for comps yesterday, and one of them is the obvious one, right? We've made the Randall Grichik Aaron comparison Judge. for Tyler oh, O'Neill oh. a million times. And Grichik over the last four years, and this would be a one-for-one one because Tyler O'Neill is currently 26. Randall Grichik, I'm looking from his age 26 season to where he is today. Over that stretch, he, per 162, Ended up averaging about 30 doubles, 33 homers, and 90 RBI per year. He was hitting about 250 on base percentage, not that high, 300, and had an OPS plus of 107, which is 7% above league average in terms of his overall offense that he was giving you. I did look at one other that I thought made a little bit of sense, though. Larry Walker. What about Will Myers as a comp for what you could get out of Tyler O'Neill? Would you sign up for that? So Will Myers for the Padres is a big part of the middle of their order now. He was a late bloomer, was a top prospect previously in baseball. Over the last four seasons since turning 26, Myers has averaged 33 doubles, 27 homers, 75 RBI, and he's a 250 hitter in this span with a 113 OPS plus. So 13% above league average in terms of his offensive production. Would you guys, if I told you you could hit a button today, that's the production you're going to get from Tyler O'Neill over the next four years. Would you sign up for that from Tyler O'Neill? I'm hitting that button right now. I mean, that's the outfielder that we've been talking about, right? That's the Mitch Hanniger that you've brought up. That would be a perfect fit. That's a good point. It's an everyday outfielder for you. And look, boys, we found our Reggie Sanders and Tommy Edmond, or Tom <laughs> Edmond, as Brad Miller likes to talk about. And we found ourselves a Mitch Hanniger. I mean, that's a lot of that's a lot of consistency in your lineup, and I think we're all on board with that. So, yeah, you give me a Will Myers, I'm taking that any day of the week. Yeah, I'm with you. I would take a Will Myers any day of the week. That's a solid six hitter if you have a deep lineup like you kind of have now when Yachty's healthy or in the future if you get another big bat. that I would take that as the sixth or seventh spot in my lineup, and if O'Neal becomes that, then this team becomes a legitimate contender with O'Neal uh, with the lineup in general and your pitching that you have, the team becomes a legitimate contender for a World Series. And honestly, that would be a success in the Cardinals' eyes too, don't you think? I mean, if that's the guy that they acquired and he turns into a Will Myers who has been an all-star, who has been a, a part of some really good teams, and right now is a part of a, is a middle-of-the-lineup bat for a really good team. That's a success if you're John Mozeliak in the player evaluation. And the reason why I like the Will Myers comp is because he also has some speed. I mean, you look back to his 2016 year that you just referenced, Alex, when he was an all-star for the Padres. That season, he had 29 doubles, 28 homers, and 28 stolen bases. So he was a guy that was a threat on the base paths as well. And something that's really stood out to me this year about Tyler O'Neill, he looks even faster. Like, I don't know how that was possible because he was already an elite speed guy. But you saw him leg out that infield single last night. Uh, that That is the thing that he brings. That is the element that he brings to his game that most power hitters do not have. A lot of them are sluggers that come to the plate, and it's either home run or nothing. Tyler O'Neill is a really good defender in left field. Probably not a great defender in center, but a good, good defender in left. And he's a guy that can help you on the bases. He can leg out a single. Did you see him beat out that double play last night? Yeah, that's a really nice, valuable piece that you can have to the middle of the order. And if he is your sixth or seventh best piece, and he's hitting like this, 
That's the important part. He's got to continue keeping this up. Uh, that's a guy you could build around. And so if he could become Will Myers to answer my own question, I'm definitely locking that mm-hmm. in. And it's be, it's in part because of the production. It's also because next year's his first year of arbitration. You've got three more years of club control on Tyler O'Neill. So if he does end up becoming an important piece of what they're building, we've got cost control in left field now. You've got cost control in right field with Dylan Carlson. And now maybe that opens you up to if you want to get creative at shortstop, maybe that contract for Paul DeYoung doesn't become quite the piece that you needed to bring around the way that it once was. So he's a he's a he's an invaluable roster spot right now. Tanner, I don't know if I heard you. Would you sign up for Will Myers going with or the Will Myers comp for Tyler O'Neill moving forward? Yeah, I would sign up for the Will Myers comp because like you mentioned, you've got club control for three years and I look at Will Myers and he's I mean, he's a really good wall player. I mean, if you gave me Will, if you literally told me I could trade O'Neill for Will Myers and let's just a hypothetical. Let's say I could get that because that's the guy we're comparing him to. And let's I, say it's one for one contract wise, too, because Myers yeah. has the $80 million contracts that he's got to deal yeah. with as well. I would sign up for that in a heartbeat because I, Will Myers is a really good player. He has power. He can hit the ball the other way. I think he's got decent control at the plate. I, I think he does strike out more now, but I think that's because he's converted more to a power hitter than when he was first up in the big leagues. Yep. I would sign up for it now. He's a 28 to 30% strikeout guy. Yeah. And as you had mentioned, too, Tyler O'Neill is better defensively than Will Myers. Will, Will Myers is not that great defensively. He's not fast. So, yeah, if Tyler O'Neill can just even get to about 80% of that comp at the plate, I think Tyler O'Neill makes this lineup really deep, and I would sign up for that. So if you had to draw the line of what a success would look like for Tyler O'Neill, to where you feel comfortable with him as your outfielder going into next season, I'm thinking batting average, home runs and doubles what would that line be for you guys 250 batting average is about where i would cut it off i think you need to be right above that somewhere around there right around 300 for your on-base percentage is what i would like to see and a slugging percentage 460 or above somewhere around there 470 or above because i want to see him around 770 or 800 as an OPS would be what I would be looking for consistently from Tyler O'Neill. All right, non-nerd numbers, 250 batting average. Tw- I know. I gave you all of them. No, I know. I'm just what not good want? at it. Not 250 batting average. Okay, what do you want to see his average exit of Elo? <laughs> what do you want the expectancy? 90, 90 ex- miles per hour. What do you want the expected barrel rate for him at the end of the season? 250 batting average for me, and I would probably put it at about 25 home runs. If I see that from Tyler O'Neill this season, I'm buying in and I'm fine with him as my everyday outfielder next year. See, I'm a lot lower on the average to me. If you're hitting for power, then I'm okay with you if you're hitting two now the problem is his lack of walking like his his lack of walks means that on, his on-base percentage is always going to be low, I, I get right? that but so if you have like a 220 batting average and a 260 on base percentage oh, you're I mean, gonna have to be a stud with the slug i think know? i think 220 is probably low but i i would say 235 to 240 i'd be okay with if he's hitting home runs because he's a seventh hitter in my lineup at best a six so i'm not too concerned about him getting on base as much i just want him to go out there and say You swing that bat and see if you can hit that ball 440 feet. If you don't, okay, come back to the dugout. That's all I want to set him out there for. 65780 is the air coverage service tax sign. Just to clear something up from 573BK, where do you find these incorrect stats for Randall Gritchick from? He has never had more than 80 RBI in 151 games played. Exaggerate a bit. That was per 162. So that all of the stats that I just gave you were what those guys would do on a per 162 basis. 
And the reason why I did that is because last year was a 50 to 60 game season for most of these guys. So that that's why I wanted to go with those averages with Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson. I'm Brandon Kylie. Tanner Hendrickson was the star of Bally Sports Midwest last night. We'll Shout tell you out. about it next. This is the BK and Ferrario podcast. Now here's BK and Ferrario. Valley Sports Midwest last night, the Cardinals game. And, you know, I love Danny Mac. I got mad love for my guy. Enjoy watching Word. Jim Edmonds on the game. <laughs> mad love. Word. <laughs> and I'm just sitting there at home and you start hearing the woos. And I'm like, oh, God, here we go again with this. Don't lie. You yelled it at home. You and Keith and Kara were all <laughs> like, woo. And Danny Mac, because he's a tremendous broadcaster, acknowledged the woos and mentioned it on the broadcast and I'll be damned Alex if Tanner Hendrickson who was at the game last night in attendance got a mention on Bally Sports Midwest just heard my first woo too early for that they should be kicked out of the ballpark that's a strong stance I don't like it there's no place in the game for that anymore it's one of those things when you first hear it it's funny it's cool it's different we get where it's coming from in the air out to center Timing is just so great. Come on, Jim. Jimmy. It led to a home run, Jim. Jimmy should be kicked out of the stadium. Jimmy, they're they're having fun, man. It's fun. It's a fun night at the ball game. I'm being serious when I say this. I don't think I've ever heard a stronger take from Jim Edmonds than they should be kicked out of the ball game for starting the woo chance during the middle of the baseball game. That's brutal. And Goldie homered off of after it. So, Tanner, do you feel personally attacked? Yeah, are you? I don't feel personally attacked. He didn't say it. it we well, I Tanner. Did. It was under his breath. He's a Tanner Hendrickson. I didn't hear yeah. that part, so I, I don't feel personally attacked. But okay, let's go back to the tape because that was not the only time that they mentioned the woos during the game. They came back to it. That was in I think like the third inning. They came back to it around the seventh. This is after the Bryce Harper incident and everything. Here was what they mentioned later on the broadcast on Bally Sports Midwest. One of the woos, they started early tonight, Jimmy. Yeah, they've kind of tapered off a little bit. This game got a little serious there for a moment. Really nice note directed at you, the president of the Woo in the Lou fan club, Tanner Hendrickson, and uh, says you do a great job and you have an open invite to join the fan club. (laughs) Woo in the Lou fan club. I'll tell you right now, I don't know if you're being dead serious or you're just getting after me again. The Woo in the Lou. Sorry if I was a little hard on you guys, but it's a time and a place for that. Set up a meeting with you and Tanner, and you guys can talk it out. All right. So we're going to set this meeting up from Jim. I have not. I have not. I should reach out to Jimmy. Did you send Danny a text saying, hey, uh, I heard what what Jim Edmonds said on the broadcast, and I'm not thrilled about it, and I would like to set up a meeting with Mr. Edmonds? I think we need to go to the tables with this. No. In fact, he asked me what the fan club was during the game. Oh, as he had, so as you he made kind of sure forgotten. to mention it's oh, the yeah. Woo and the You got to get the name right. Get it right. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And and see, so I'm at the game, so I don't know what's going on. That text came right about the Goldie home run, too, by the way. So I didn't know what was going on. You but you dropped your hot dog? Yeah. Well, no, no, no. That was the O'Neill home oh, run. Oh, sorry. The hot dog was gone by the time we get to Goldie's shot. Was it, though? Yeah. Continue. But yeah, I... I Danny Mac texted me and said, hey, what's the name of your fan club? And I said, it's the Woo and the Lou. And he said, okay, that's right. And then when then when I, my phone started blowing up in the seventh inning when he mentioned my name. Uh, what were some of those texts that you were getting? 
Someone texted me and said, uh, Danny Mac said, mentioned you on the broadcast, but it's something about woo and something. And I'm just like, woo and the loo, get it right. <laughs> Seriously, pay attention. How do you feel that you are now the president of a club that is known universally in St. Louis? Like people around town know Tanner Hendrickson is the president of the woo and the loo fan club. I, it, it feels like an honor, to be honest with you. And the t-shirts are going to be great that we get made. Are we making t-shirts? Are we? Oh, yeah, Woo and the Lou t-shirts. Can BK get on that bandwagon? Absolutely not. Yeah, I don't want a yeah. part of that. He's getting a free shirt. I'm I, going I, to I get also on... texted uh, Danny Mack and told him that I'll get Jimmy a free shirt, too. So That's, That's good. really yeah, you kind need to of get you. One of them. Here's the part that I think they missed out on. And Danny, uh, Dan, Danny, Danny should have found a way to get this done. They should have found Tanner Hendrickson in the stands. Mid oh. hot dog as the fan of the Woo and the Woo. Honestly, I was looking around thinking Jim Hayes was going to show up. I was up. about to say that. I'm surprised yeah. Jim Hayes didn't find we, you. We should have hunted him down to find more out about the Woo and the Lou fan club from El Presidente. Would you have embraced it? Like if Jim Hayes came into the stands and he finds you down the what, right field line? Yes. That's where you were last night. If he had found you in the stands and he said, Tanner, uh, Jim Hayes here and. I've been told by Danny Mac that you are the president of the Woo and the Lou fan club. Would you have embraced it? Yeah, gone on television. Let's play this out. Ask the question to him. To uh, millions BK? of fans across the country, the Cardinals nation, Tanner will go ahead and do a mock interview here. Yeah. I'm Jim Hayes. You are yourself. Okay. Well, I can play that role. Tanner, Put how the hot did... Dog down. Okay. How did the Woo and the Lou fan club start, and are you proud of what you've started here in St. Louis? Well, Jimmy, yes, I'm very proud of what we started here in St. Louis. Uh, The Woo and the Lou, it it belongs. The Woo belongs here in St. Louis, so I'm glad that we've started this club. And as the the club started, we know we talk about it on my radio, or our radio show here in St. Louis. Now we know we should take it as his radio show. Jeez. Tanner right, well, we know I would have blown it on air. T-Bone and the boys. Yeah, T-Bone on my radio show, T-Bone, T-Bone and, and the, the dogs. Uh, we talk about the woo a lot, and I make sure that it gets its positive vibes. And then I will give some credit to a random texter. Sorry, texter, don't know your name, but you gave me the idea for woo and the loo, and then we started the club. All right, let me follow up with another question. Wait, who are two, you? I'm, He's Jim. I'm Jim, Hayes. I'm Jim Hayes point two oh. So oh, there's two Jim Hayes. Yeah, we're, 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 double di- we're double dipping on this it's one. It's Erica Weston. She's out there tonight That's as well. That's true. Yeah. Yeah. He's Erica yeah. Weston. Okay, let me let me follow up with this, Tanner. Some say that a, a woo is a disgrace for baseball games, and it's it's obnoxious in ball games. What do you have to say to those fans? Well, I'm sorry. It's that, a hard hitting question. Yeah, hey, wow, there's no question only brings hard hitting questions there's to no the table. Win for that, I'll just say sorry, but. You know, the woo's made its way to baseball. We're getting rid of the wave. It's, it's basically just replacing the wave. It's fine. Now, final question for you, because Jim earlier tonight said that anybody who does the woo during the broadcast, during the game, should be immediately escorted out of the stadium. And he actually said uh, off air, I don't know this to be true, just to clarify here, uh, <laughs> that they should be federally indicted and should have to go to prison it's for true. starting the woo at the stadium. How would you respond? It's a felony. Jim, let's not get ridiculous now. Uh no, that's not what should happen. It, we're here at the ball game to have a good time, and whether that means I'm wooing, I'm having a hot dog, or anything <laughs> else, then you should be allowed. I, I paid my t- price of admission to come to the ball game. As long as I don't run on the field and interrupt play, I should be fine. Uh, actually, I disagree with that. I think you should be immediately escorted out of the game. Okay, that's enough. And this is me myself saying Woo! this. I sincerely... I. I have never agreed more with anything Jim Edmonds has said no. than last night when he said anybody who starts the woo should be immediately escorted that, out of the game. That's a terrible take. You guys have yeah, to have seriously. more fun at baseball games. 
I, I can have why, plenty why, of fun at a baseball why game. Why should you being get ridiculous. to dictate who gets to pick kicked out of a game because they enjoy wooing at a baseball game? Because it's absurd. But everyone likes it. Everyone else joins in. It's not just one no. person. It's no. not just Tanner sitting in his seat going, whoa, there's a bunch of people doing it. That is not There's 13,000 people it, that are wooing. It, no. it, plays, it plays out something like this. <laughs> and it goes on and on and That's on. That's enough. It's fantastic, though. You meet me at the garden, Brandon. Meet me at the garden. Coming up in 30 minutes, i got to ask the question again of whether or not I can get in on the Blues bandwagon. <clears throat> going to try my best. We'll talk to Joey Vitale about the Blues getting back on track next on 101 ESPN. This is the BK and Ferrario podcast. Now here's BK and Ferrario. three-game winning streak. Colorado and then Minnesota. They're back in action tonight. Blues versus the Wild. Alex Ferrario will have pregame coverage coming up at 6 o'clock. Joey Vitale, Chris Kerber going to be on the call starting at 7. And right now we talk to our friend Joey Vitale via the Brown and Crouppen Celebrity Line. Joey, how you doing, man? Boys, doing good today. How you guys doing? Doing very well. So you never lost faith. You told me all along the feeling in that locker room is it is positive and they believe that they're going to be able to turn things around. How are you feeling now after this three-game winning streak, Joey? Trust in Joe, BK. Trust in Joe. I've been saying it since day one, bro. I've been saying it since day one. Uh, the confidence is great. The confidence is building even more now because you're winning. You're getting good saves. You're getting productivity out of the depth. All the things that you want to happen down the stretch to get things going in the right direction are really happening for the St. Louis Blues. And, you know, listen, I mean, a small thing like, you know, I know that everyone's kind of up in arms about the second period, but, you know, I was talking to Tyler Bozak this morning over the Zoom as they're in Minnesota right now. He told me that, yes, we have bad periods. Yes, we have bad moments in games. But the good news is that we have felt so confident in this goaltender that we have that maybe he doesn't you know, come up with these shutouts or hold these teams to one goal. Maybe he lets a couple goals in that he wants back. But when it comes to that timely save, like we talked about last night in the fourth period, Alex, when it comes to that timely save, uh, he's always the guy for for this team. And that's what Tyler Bozak was saying when the, when they've had bad periods at times and stretches throughout this season. But a group that is extremely confident moving forward. They've been in this position before. They know what it's like to push at the very last month to get in like they did back in 2019. And, and listen, this team is confident. They're, they're rearing to go. I think I saw a stat the other day that uh, has the Blues projected 81% chance to get into the playoffs now with another excuse me, an Arizona loss last night with the Blues win. So, I mean, again, things are looking up and up right now for St. Louis. Joe, let me uh, get your thoughts on that second period. I mean, this has been the most confusing thing this season, and really it feels like there's no concrete answer. But it's just so strange because that first period the Blues looked great. Now Minnesota had a little bit of a push, but the Blues had their chances, and then the second period happens. I'm I'm partially a little curious. Do you think it could be something with those long line changes for the Blues and kind of how they get hemmed in their own zone and not able to get to the bench fast enough is what's allowing those odd man rushes? No, I, I don't think it's the the changes. I don't I don't think it's. Uh, I just think it's it's just part of what's going on right now. I, I, you know, you mentioned you mentioned it right there, Alex. I think it's perfectly said. You know, it, it's hard to find the answer, and I think sometimes it is too hard to find the answer because that's sports. Because guess what? If, if we knew the answers, then guess who would know the answer? Your opponent, and they would beat you even more. I mean, so, some some things are just an anomaly in sports. And, and for a while, there, the St. Louis Blues were having terrible starts. They were always trailing. They were always chasing the game. Well, they corrected that. 
You know, they, they started getting in, in, in the games early. They started getting those goals early. Instead of chasing, they were protecting the lead. And now now the second period's been a little bit of a goop. But, you know, you go back to a couple of games ago against the Colorado Abilene, it's just maybe the more complete 60 minutes this Blues team has put together. Um, I will say this, and I know fans get frustrated by the second period. Keep in mind, there are very qualified employees on the other side of that bench for the Minnesota Wild, very qualified, some of the best in the world that are trying to prevent the Blues from doing what they want to do. You always have to keep that in mind in sports, and, and, I, and I don't try to be disrespectful to fans, but I tell them that, like, what the heck's going on with the Blues? I'm like, hey, listen, uh, imagine going to work every day and you're a painter, and imagine every time you start painting a wall, there's someone there just, like, mixing your colors up and splattering stuff on the wall and trying to disrupt you. That, that's what these players go through. They're constantly being disrupted to what they're trying to do by other people. And so you're going to have bad periods. You're going to have bad stretches where you, you trail in games. You don't come out with the start you want. You're going to have stretches where you give up two goal leads. Well, guess what? This is the St. Louis Blues team that not only gives up two goal leads, but they also come back from two goal deficits. So it's a little bit back and forth. Uh, it's what makes sports exciting, but it's definitely something that they're aware of and they want to try to continue to correct tonight. And that's why sometimes Alex has bad shows because I'm over here messing him up all the time. So he he understands what you're saying there. Uh, there Alex Joey. never has bad shows. <laughs> well, it's, it's my Alex, fault again. Alex, it's my fault. Alex would never. Alex would never say Cardinals are on the ice tonight with the Colorado Avalanche. He would. Okay. He would never say it. That okay. was UBK. Joe, I have a newborn at home and I got very little sleep. <laughs> Did that happen? Yeah, and that's what happened in that during yeah, that, the pregame that was, show. No, that was last Thursday when we interviewed Joe. Oh yeah, I think I threw like yeah, three. See, right. Joe, BK doesn't even that's listen. Right. When I talk on the show, I'm so underappreciated here. <laughs> I love it. Joey Vitale joining us here on 101 ESPN. Hey, Joey, we got to ask you about this power play because it's been outstanding. They've scored an eight straight now. They're 10 for 23 on the power play in that stretch. This is the longest power play goal uh, streak for the Blues since 2013. And Mike Hoffman is a big part of why they're having so much success. What have you seen that has stood out to you on the success of that unit that is changed from where they were previously? Well, a lot of things got to come together for you to go that many games in a row and score a power play goal. Number one, you always have to start with the puck. The face-offs on the power play have been great, whether it be Tyler Bozak on that right side or Ryan O'Reilly has been really effective on the left side. And I'm not just talking about winning face-offs with those 50-50 battles where your winger needs to come in and help out. These are straight, like, flyback pucks. They're going right to the defenseman so they can get set up right away. So the face-off's been great, number one. Uh, number two, why has Mike Hoffman so, um, been so great? You have to look at the passer. David Perron and Vince Dunn, those to me have been the two best passers over the last stretch of three to four weeks with Mike Hoffman as far as setting him up to put that puck in the wheelhouse. You've got to have good passers that can look off defenders. I mean, look at David Perron. Look at the way he passed him the puck last night. He's looking one way, he throws it the other way. When you're a defending opponent, when you're out there on the kill, if you're Felino tonight, you're, you're looking at the puck, but you're also looking at whoever has the puck. You're looking at their eyes. And Perron, so many times, is going to look at Tory Crew and he's just going to slice it right across that seam over to Mike Hoffman. So it's the deceptiveness for David Prawn, the Vince Duns, and the Tory Krugs that can kind of get him in a good position where the defenders aren't going to be on top of him when he gets the puck. So you got good face-offs, you got great passing, and then the other thing, you got a hot stick. Mike Hoffman just got the hot stick. He's got an elite shot. He's had an elite shot in this league for a very long time. When the Blues picked him up here during that offseason, Keith Yandel, I was talking to him, an old buddy of mine, he was talking about how just unbelievable the guy Mike Hoffman is, but more importantly, what an absolute weapon you have now on the power play. Keith Yandel said he would just put pucks in his wheelhouse. Anywhere around him, he would pick it up, he'd one-time it, and it's always in the back of the net. He's got a hot stick. The Blues have recognized that. They've moved him up to this top unit a couple weeks ago. It was a great move by Craig Berube, and he's a shooter. He's just going to continue to shoot. 
he, he he's very deceptive with his shot and where it goes. He's not always near side high gloves. Sometimes he goes across the body like we saw in Devin Dumnik. Sometimes he'll go low glove like we saw in Max Talbot last night, or excuse me, Cam Talbot last night. So he he, he kind of mixes the goalies in and out, but he's got an elite shot. He's got a whippy stick. He knows how to get rid of it. He knows how to get rid of it in a hurry. Not to mention, he's not only at the point. He's not stagnant. He's going back door. I mean, look at the two goals he scored last night. One was at the point, one was on the back door. So he's kind of that revolving back and forth north-south player where he's going to go back door, but he's also going to hang out in the point where it becomes kind of a, a lost subject when, you, when you're an opponent and you're trying to defend him. But it's been a terrific power play. Uh, this is what special teams need to do for you when you're not always there five-on-five five or when the goaltender allows a goal that you would love to have back, like Jordan Binton did last night. You know, you allow that first goal, five-on-five is a little bit sloppy, terrible second period, power play goal in the second, power play goal in the third. I mean, it's just one of those things that you, you really lean on those special teams to get you out of moments like they did last night to get to get a win and get two points. Joe, Bennington's won three straight games. The Blues played nine of their next 15 days. Do you possibly, if you're Craig Berube, consider going back to Jordan Bennington tonight? No, no, you got to go with Billy Huso. It'll be Billy here tonight, I think, because, listen, you have a lot of games coming up, and, you know, three three games in four nights, that's a hard stretch. That's a really hard stretch for a goaltender. And I think you got to go with him last night. You get the two points you need. I think you got to lean on him for Saturday. You know, after a day rest, go back to Jordan Biddington and, and play him, play number 50 there on Saturday night to try to scratch and claw your way to another two points. But tonight, this is an opportunity you got to get Billy in. It's been a while since he's seen the net. We don't know how much more he will see the net here the rest of the stretch here because, listen, guys, we just don't know how tight things are going to be. You like to think that the Blues continue to win. Maybe they take one or maybe both of the next two in Minnesota. Maybe they put themselves in a very comfortable spot. Maybe Arizona keeps losing. And then you can kind of go to Billy and Jordan back and forth before the first round of the playoffs. But uh, let's say Arizona continues to win. Let's say San Jose decides to make a run. Let's just say, for example, the Blues kind of get a little bit cold. Then you're going to have to lean on Biddington a little bit more. So I think you really got to pick your spots if you're Craig Berube. And to me, tonight is a spot where you definitely have to go with Billy Huso, the backup. Joey Vitale joining us here for just another couple of minutes on 101 ESPN. Hey, Joe, I wanted to ask you about Justin Falk because last night he was on the ice for 29 minutes while they were without Colton Pareko in that one. And I was curious, you know, when was the last time that a Blues defenseman played 29 minutes in a regular season game? And there's only been two guys in the last decade for the Blues that have done that. It's Alex Petrangelo who did it 33 times, which is incredible. And Jay Bomeister did it twice in his career. What did you see from uh, Justin Falk last night, and how significant was it for him to be able to log those kinds of minutes when you were without two of your best defensemen again in a game like that? Yeah, I mean, first of all, that's a lot of minutes. I mean, I don't care what kind of game you're playing. I mean, that's 72 being out there against some some tough offensive threats for Minnesota. It's, it's no easy night. I know it's not the Colorado or the Vegas uh, depth or the Vegas caliber of players. But listen, Minnesota is a very deep team. You know, you look at their lines, they don't have a lot of those superpower superstars, but every line can grind and every line can skate and every line's going to hit you. So the tough responsibility last night for Justin Falk to go in there in Minnesota the way he did and really step up big. Uh, what did I notice out of him? Actually, not very much, which is probably a great thing because they need him to go out there and defend. He, he didn't overstretch himself. He kind of played that Carl Gunnarsson slash Jay Bomey, so don't really notice your kind of game. And that's what you need out of him when you're going to be in that shutdown role because Colton Preco is going to be out. Listen, I, get a lot, I give a lot of credit to Justin Falk because he had to, he's had to be a chameleon all season long. You know, last year he was on the bottom pair. Now he's a top pair. Now he's logging 30 minutes. 
Sometimes he's with Tory Krug and they need him to be an offensive pair. Other times he's on the top pair. We need him to be a shutdown pair. He's really kind of evolved, you know, whether going the left side or the right side. He's evolved to become something that's uh, really been great for Mike Van Ryan throughout all the injuries and throughout all the kind of ups and downs of the season. Uh, Justin Falk has been a very steady, reliable, dependable guy where you can put him out there in any situation and say, this is what we need out of you tonight. Last night it was a shutdown, a key piece, that Felino line, as well as the Rask and, and, and the Fialas. And tonight it's going to be no different. Again, probably without Colton Preko, I would imagine again here tonight. So Justin Falk is going to get those top minutes against these top lines, keeping an eye on that Greenway Eric's neckline. They've been on fire lately. They were kind of beating, beating up on the Blues again last night. That's going to be a tough matchup. And I wouldn't even be surprised if the Blues go with 12 forwards here tonight, maybe even load up with a little bit of beef on that fourth line to try to be that shutdown role against this Minnesota top piece. Uh, I'm gl- glad you brought that up, Joe, because that's where I was going next, that fourth line. Uh, I, I didn't think Zach Sanford was horrible in that game. I actually thought that fourth line was pretty good in the first period, but it is that glaring turnover that we saw in the third period from Zach Sanford. If you're going 12 forwards, do you possibly, if you're Craig Berube, now that Ivan Barbashev can drop down to that fourth line because Hoffman looked good with Thomas and Cairo, do you possibly go back to Kyle Clifford or do you put Mackenzie McEachern in who's with the team now? And Craig Bruby has said he's feeling good in practices. You know what? Yeah, I actually like Zach's game. Aside from that turnover, I think he did some really good things in the game. Um, you know, was it his best game, best performance? No, but uh, I think he played well enough to give himself another game. Uh, will we see him again here tonight? I think we could, but if there's one player that could replace him, I don't think it's Mackenzie McEachern. I think it's what the first one you said there, Alex. I think it'll be Kyle Clifford. Yeah. This isn't a guy that likes to sit out too long, and the coaches like to have him sit out very long. And He's a player that has been scratched before in the past, and he understands that feeling, and he wants to get back out there, and he wants to make an impact in the game. He can be a fast, physical guy, and I'm telling you right now, when he dips that shoulder and takes that puck to the net, it causes a lot of havoc. And not to mention, when you have a guy like that on the bench, it does create space and some open areas more for your teammates when the opponents are looking over and they know you have Kyle Clifford just on that bench. So just that just that presence of Kyle Clifford, I think, can make a huge impact in tonight's game. It was a physical matchup last night, and it's going to continue to be physical tonight and on Saturday night. So to me, Kyle Clifford would be a, a huge bonus if the Blues can squeeze him in. So, Joey, am I allowed on the bandwagon yet, or am I still uh, Tell him no, Joe? <laughs> Tell him no, Joe. No. No, stay away. Stay away, BK. Just keep learning, but just sit back in that chair. Keep learning from Alex and me. That's what I'm here for. Joey, <laughs> you're the best, man. Appreciate you. Thanks, boys. Have See a good you, one. Joe. Absolutely. That's Joey Vitale joining us here on 101 ESPN. So I have now been overruled by Joey Vitale, Jamie yep. Rivers, Alex Ferrario, and 97% of our listeners. I'd like to know the 3% of the listeners that said you could get back on. Some people really enjoy me. That's a a really good question, I got one tweet last night that I said, okay, I'll give it a whirl. But then I think the rest of them were hell no and blank no. a little bit worse than that. Yeah, I think that's all fair. But we'll talk about it a little bit more coming up in about 10 minutes or so. Coming up next, though, let's dive into the junk drawer here on 101 ESPN. This is the BK and Ferrario podcast. Now here's BK and Ferrario. is back and we'll talk about that coming up here in just about 15 minutes or so but I just got the worst news I've ever heard Alex I had a couple things come to mind I'm like man all of those are so mean I can't say any of those <laughs> diving into the junk drawer <laughs> what you said something during the yeah, break as yeah. we were getting ready to come back yeah I don't have a world record anymore no you don't do you remember what your time was that you broke that world record like- with 
16 or 14. I think it was either 16.4 or 14.6. 16.4, if I'm not mistaken, because the record was 16.65, set by Declan Evans. And Declan, by the way, who listens to our show all the time, he sent a picture and said to cease and desist with you breaking this record. But anyway. Told him, I don't know who this number is. Please never contact me again. He said, you you said, who this? Well, it's... uh, Declan's record and BK's unofficial record are no more because um, Leah um, Shukover. Okay, I'm gonna butcher it, plain and simple. But she is uh, she is a speed eater with more than 20 Guinness titles, including most chicken nuggets eaten in three minutes. T-Bone, that seems like something you'd be on board with because you eat chicken nuggets all the time. I do love chicken nuggets. Uh, she's got the fastest time to eat 15 Ferrero Rochers. I don't know what those are. <laughs> and she has now set the record for the fastest drinking of a Capri Sun, 15.71 seconds. So you, she beat her by, you beat, or she all beat right, you by beat 0.7 seconds. You we got to redo it. it. You couldn't do it. I got to nah, beat her again. You couldn't do it. You can't. It's you can't 15 point something. 15.71. I got to train. train. That's what has to happen. I, I, I got to train. Just start chugging. Do you want me to be like Mick and you'll be Rocky and we'll like chase a chicken around Please. in the backyard? Yeah. Can, can we run up like the, the old post office? I got to run up the stairs and that's at the fine. top. Do the Rocky with pose. Capri Suns in your hand? Yeah, with Capri Suns yes. in both hands. And at the end of it, you got to yell I instead of Drago, you yell, Capri I think I should use Capri Suns as my ankle weights. Just yeah. like tape them around my, be, my that'd be, ankles. That'd be pretty heavy for your legs. Well, yeah, let's be honest. I've got some chicken legs, so it's, it doesn't take a whole lot to be ankle weights. 15.71 seconds, boys. I can beat that. She did it on TikTok, too. Man, I, I watched the video. Oh, if it's on TikTok, then it really Do has. Do you guys understand TikTok? Man, I watched the video, and she, like, in just the like, most nonchalant move, got the the, uh, the the straw out of the wrapper, put it into the pouch, and, like, middle of her putting it into the pouch, she shoved the freaking thing down her throat and chugged this thing. It's impressive. So I don't think you can beat her. I think I can. No, nope, I'm think pretty so. confident that I can do this. Six five seven. I know if you think that uh, BK can beat this uh, Leah Skukover. Sorry, Leah. There's no way that's right. It's I don't even see the not. name in front I'm of me. I'm very confident that I can break this record. Give, give, give me two weeks. <laughs> give me two weeks. We'll break this. T Bone sounds like he still buys the Dino nuts. <laughs> oh, those are good though. Six one eight. Don't be upset about T- getting the T-Bone Dino nuts. T Bone has those little uh, pods that you put in the bathtub and they turn into foam dinosaurs when you're in there. <laughs> I don't even know how yeah, to comment that. I, I actually man. have those. Well, we, well, fitting, he brings up a bathtub. and daughter. Yeah, well, yeah, daughter, totally. <laughs> so in London, they now have a sky pool that is 82 feet into the air. Or sorry, 82 feet long, 10 stories high. And it comes from, it goes across one apartment building all the way across to the other apartment building. Hold and on, it's so see-through. it's 10 feet high and it's a pool? 10 stories high. And it's a pool. It's 10 st- Yeah, it's a pool. 10 stories high, 82 feet long. Whoa. And it's filled yeah, with water. And it's clear. No, 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 it's clear. No. So, like, when you're swimming, you can see down below you. What's the point of having a 10-story pool? Check this out, pool? Alex. No, no, the pool's not 10 the stories. The pool is 10 stories in high. the sky. It's oh. connecting the rooftop I, of I two like, different what do you mean? buildings. I thought the pool was 10 stories deep. I'm like, So why? it looks like a bridge 10 stories into the air. Oh, I'm in on that. It's... Looks awesome, it's doesn't it? It's see-through yeah. on the bottom. No, yeah. no, 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 no. I'm afraid the, of heights, and I would do that. Absolutely yeah, I am too. Not. I'm afraid of heights, and I think that would be great. Why? In what world is that great? That I can already feel my anxiety levels rising. Well, because you know just it's by safe. looking at this. 
Do, uh, do you? Yeah. Do you? Yeah. They just built this. How where, do we know where is it built? the Titanic was London. safe too? How'd that work out? Okay, you're going back to the 1900s, BK. Yeah, old man. Come on. Jeez. Did you watch the movie? They, they it thought, didn't end they well thought for all healing of them. people from diseases was like, you know, having a bird suck the fluid out of them. And a hundred years from now, they're going to look back and be like, these idiots thought that it was smart to build a pool. 10 stories into the sky. Hey, if I'm going to go out, I want to go out in a swimsuit in a pool. Yeah, I'm good on that. That's a good point, actually. You want to go out happy, right? Like, if I'm going to go out, I'd like to die choking on a steak. Um, I'd like to die. Nope, not a hot dog. Why would you like to die? Dino nuggets? You want to die choking on a steak? If it's a good prime rib, then why not? Because that sounds awful. Why? Something stuck between your wind tubes? Mm -mm. I'm good. I don't need that. I don't need to be sucking on something while I'm going out. But That's yeah, you want to suck on something out. in 15 seconds to win a record. <laughs> From the 636, I have all the confidence in the world that BK can beat that Capri Sun record. Nobody sucks harder than BK. Um, Got him. <laughs> oh, no, we're not going to give him credit? Yeah, that was terrible. Bad text. <laughs> Bad text, whatever number that was from. Tanner is now the officially got him guy. Final thing for you guys in the junk drawer today. So I know that I'm going to let Alex Ferrario cook on this one. Mine is staying sports related today. Did you guys see that Floyd Mayweather and Logan Paul have officially agreed on a fight at Hard Rock Stadium on June the 6th? Unbelievable. Alex, you going to be watching? Hell no, I'm not going to be watching this. I'll wait to watch the replay on Twitter of a gif of Jake Paul's face being plastered by Floyd Mayweather's fist into the ring. Get the hell out of here. This is dumb. This This is embarrassing for Floyd Mayweather. Like, come on, man. You wrapped up your career undefeated as one of the best boxers ever, regardless of what people think. And now you're going to go fight a YouTube star who's got a couple of victories, one against a, a basketball player who literally couldn't even fight, and then another one with a mixed martial arts who I really feel like they paid him to drop in that match because they wanted Jake Paul to look pretty. Get the hell out of here. I hope Floyd Mayweather breaks this guy's face. Boy, that was tinfoil-esque right there. That was tremendous. I'm, that was some really good boxing analysis, Alex. I'm, yeah. I appreciate you. Being here for us. I feel for like that. both by, of you had sarcasm, and I don't like it. Can we go back real quick to the Titanic thing that BK said? Why? Sure. BK said that you, what have you Titanic? Yeah, BK. It's kind of like a love movie. No. Yeah, this didn't end well. Oh, uh, yeah, it did. The old lady threw the ring and oh nope, not sorry, spoiler. Did not in particularly depending, well. Depending when you stop watching. God, give, yeah. Give me more. Well, I always make it to I the always end. stop before that stinking iceberg shows up. It's a little cold. Hold on. In the water. There's something just about Celine Dion's voice that just ugh, gets you going every gets time. You, huh? Gets you going, man. Well, you know what gets me going is watching the blues no. back in action again. No. And you guys accepting me on the bandwagon. No. We'll talk about it next. This is the BK and Ferrario podcast. Now here's BK and Ferrario. Three straight wins, but not just that. Two over Colorado, one over Minnesota. And then last night to come back in the third period after having just a disastrous second period. Uh, this team looks hungry. You know, can they keep it up? That's a big question. Sometimes you get fooled by this team a little bit, but they're playing really well right now. 
That was Jeremy Rutherford earlier today on the morning show. Something has clearly changed for the Blues. They now have an 89% chance to make the postseason, according to Money Puck, which is an analytics site that checks tra- tracks rather these sorts of things. And Alex, they are... They're getting the depth, the scoring depth that we needed to see earlier in the year. Their top guys are playing like the top end players that we all know they're capable of uh, being. I mentioned with Joey Vitale in our interview about 30 minutes ago that Justin Falk played 29 minutes last night. That is a legit number one defenseman type of workload. That is Alex Petrangelo type of workloads in the regular season. Are you buying in that this team can not only make the playoffs, but they can actually go on a little bit of a run once they get there? Definitely. Definitely. Because one, they're playing more confident on the ice right now. And we saw that last night with that come from behind victory. Look at all of the come from behind victories that they've had this season. On top of it, we spent a lot of time talking about them giving up two goal leads. But look at the amount of games that they've come from behind in two goal games. So this team has the ability to do that. And on top of it, it's the playoff experience. Jamie Rivers and I talked about it on the pregame show last night on the Riverside. And he mentioned how he's starting to see the Stanley Cup experience from a group of these players. And that was last night, in my opinion. You saw it from a Robert Thomas. You saw it from a Tyler Bozak. You saw it from a Jordan Bennington. You need that. So right now I feel like the flip has been switched for this team and now it's about just playing and tightening up the areas. But when you get into the playoffs, in my opinion, it comes down to who who can play at this level better because the playoffs are a different animal. And I think matching matching up against a Colorado Avalanche or a Vegas Golden Knights, if it would be that way, or frankly, there's a possibility Minnesota could get that top spot. I'd give the Blues the upper hand in a seven-game series because they've been there before. So I'm not going to play the role of Buzz Killington today. I, well, I can't. Is? I, I don't know how anybody possibly could come on here and play that role today. So I will say this without BKOing the Blues. I did not think there was enough time for them to get back into this type of a groove. I didn't think they were going to be able to do it because I thought that this team had the potential to flip the switch. I just thought it was going to take an 82-game schedule to be able to get there because we saw it in 2019, but that started in January. This is at the very end of the year, starting in April, basically. You finally found what was going to be the groove going into the postseason. This is very different than what we saw in 2019. That team was humming starting in January and then going into the postseason, and then we know how that ended. I think they are the type of team that you know the the annual you don't want to play this team if they get in the blues are going to be that one like when you're watching NHL network or NBC sports whenever we get into the postseason when the analysts are on there and they're talking about the hot team going into the postseason the one that you is that's a 3 or 4 seed that nobody else wants to play if the blues keep this up they will be that team I didn't think they had enough time to be able to get there, but I think that that's what's happening right now. It's all about playing the right time and the right way, and I think the Blues are doing that right now. I mean, look at Colorado. Look, we all can agree Colorado's a good team, but Colorado is on a three-game losing streak, and on top of it, they're going to be without some of their players. Now, I'm not sure if Grubauer and Rantanen and Donskoy will be back in the next game or so, but you're going to go a significant amount of time without these guys in your lineup. So it's about kind of putting them back in and getting them acclimated. You look at the Vegas Golden Knights. Vegas has won 10 in a row. Vegas is about as hot as any team can be right now. And then Minnesota, they were playing well, but they were playing well against Arizona, LA, and San Jose. 
But then you got the Blues. And let's let's go down a hypothetical path here to where the confidence should be at an all-time high. And Tanner, listen up, because I know you don't have confidence in them. I'm listening. Okay, good. You just beat Colorado twice. You're playing Minnesota for three games. Then you're playing Vegas. You'll have a matchup against Anaheim. You'll have a matchup against L.A. And then you wrap up the season against the Minnesota Wild. So what is that? Five, seven of the last nine games that you play are against teams that are in the top three in this division. If you go out there and you perform the way that we've watched these last three games against these guys in the seven of nine games, you can't tell me that those guys aren't going into the playoffs thinking we can beat anybody right now. Bennington said it the other night. Anybody yeah. can beat anybody in this league. It's just a matter of having the game down to a 60 minute. And right now it feels like the blues have done that with their confidence. I still, I need them to fix this second period issue, I but no man, I, I don't, I really don't get it. Cause even last night they did not play well at all in the second period. And it's been a consistent theme for them. They've had, Basically one game, even in this stretch where they played a full 60, I don't get it, but whatever, even if that's going to continue being an issue for them, they have the firepower to be able to overcome it. And that's what we saw last night. They also might be getting guys back at the right time. And I'm not just talking about Vince Dunn and Colton Pareko. Clem Costin might be rejoining this team. Jeremy Rutherford wrote about this earlier today. Costin's team won the KHL championship the other day, and it sounds like he's going to be back sooner rather than later. He said Costin remains under contract in the NHL and is eligible to play in however many games are remaining once he arrives and completes his quarantine. JR was also on with a morning show earlier today explaining what this situation could look like for the Blues. Ten days is probably what a European player has to do in terms of, of sitting out before he uh, plays for the NHL team. Uh, but I did talk to Doug Armstrong last night via text, and he said there's really no uh, definitive time, timeline. They're still waiting to figure out more about that, so they're hoping to find out something uh, over the weekend. But, you know, will fatigue be an issue? I asked uh, Tim Taylor that after... Clint Costin's been on the ice in September playing with his KHL team, and he said, listen, this kid really wants to prove that he can play in the NHL. His adrenaline's going to be pumping as he joins this Blues team. It sounds like he's coming back, and it sounds like he actually might play this year. And if he does, I don't think you should expect some kind of world beater, but you look down at that fourth line, that spot where Kyle Clifford or Zach Sanford would have to play, he might look pretty darn good down there, Alex. Yeah, I think he'll look great there. I'm really interested to see what happens with this situation because, look, Jeremy did a great piece on The Athletic today talking about this, but this wasn't supposed to go this way. He wasn't supposed to stay in the KHL all season. It was because they didn't have their American Hockey League affiliate, so they said he's better off going to the KHL and playing on a consistent basis rather than being here on a taxi squad and not playing. And then the decision was made even better when they found out that Bob Hartley was going to be his coach a guy who has NHL experience a guy who plays very similar or coaches very similar to Craig Berube's style and they got the best out of him so if they get him back and Jeremy's piece talked about getting him back hopefully by this weekend into North America the work visa is done it's just a matter of getting him here is it a 10 or a 14 day quarantine that's what they got to find out let's just say it's a 14 day quarantine and he doesn't get here until may 13th it's my move in day that's why i know may, okay that's 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 a smart <laughs> that's way of looking final at it then. day of the regular season but he's not here yet so let's say he doesn't get here until may 2nd which is the sunday two weeks would be may 16th well that would be that would be 10 days from now would be may 2nd may right? s- no may no. 2nd would be 3 days from now it'd be wow. this weekend 
Okay. Yeah, it's wow, May. It's May, was, buddy. Uh, You're about to be a homeowner, and it's about to get worse for you. I promise. So May second, uh, <laughs> May second, <laughs> May second. Wow, is Sunday, and if it's a it's a 14 day quarantine, then you takes to May 16th. And guess what? That's the playoffs by then. Gotcha. Does he jump into the playoffs? I don't know. If it's a 10 day quarantine, then maybe he can play a couple of regular season games. The good news is he's conditioned for play. It's not like he's been sitting around for a month and then he comes into play. Could they use him? I could see it, but I also don't know kind of what Craig Bruby's thinking of a vibe and chemistry of this team. I think he would be beneficial for them, though, if he's playing that north-south style because he's a big-bodied guy. He shoves players off of the puck, and frankly, he's a goal scorer. So I'm really interested to see what Craig Bruby goes with this route. But regardless, Clem Costin is going to be a part of this NHL team, and I think it only benefited his future with the Blues to go over to the KHL and not just play, but go win a championship. Yeah, I think that he's the type of player that they would love to have on that fourth line. That's the other thing. Like It, it gives you options. And so if he is here with a couple of games remaining in the regular season, I bet you you'll see him on that fourth line. Now, if he's not here, that's when things get really interesting. And I'm not sure you can put him in his first action in the postseason. I don't think so. Plus, and I know Jamie mentioned this yesterday on the fast lane, but you got to figure out what his shoulder situation is. Now, he says that if he, they say he's Good fine. Point. But remember in the playoffs, I think it was the second or third round, uh, he took a pretty nasty hit and he had to be helped off of the ice. He returned the next game. But we all know what goes on in Russia, or I guess we don't know what goes on in Russia. So, I mean, they could say you're fine and then he not be fine. So there's a lot of variables that go into it if he is available though I think he will be a uh, a good complementary piece to this team because he plays that physical brand that the Blues desperately need on the fourth line with Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson I'm Brandon Kylie. all right we're gonna play a special edition of better to forget it coming up next I'm giving Alex and Tanner each $500 to right. make some right. NFL Cash, prop pay bets. It up. I'm giving it to them they have to spend all of it on prop bets like poker that Brad Miller told us about. You can make up to five bets, $100 minimum per bet. Can't leave until you lose. But you only have to make one. What are you betting on to happen tonight in the NFL draft? One bet for $500. Up to five, as as few as one. We'll tell you what our bets are for tonight in the NFL draft next on 101 ESPN. This is the BK and Ferrario podcast. Now here's BK and Ferrario. All right, it is time for Better to Forget It. We have a special NFL Draft Edition for you guys today. I have given out $500. Alex got $500. Tanner got $500. And I gave myself... $500! Even the text line! No, 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 no. no, When we can go out to a ballpark, like with everybody, though, I do... $500 then? No, but I would like to go out to um, the Budweiser deck out in right field. Would you just call me? Come on now. Uh, I would love to grab our listeners a drink. That would be one thing that I am excited for once everything's opened up. That might be more up. than $500. Around 4th of July, I'd like to buy a round for, for our listeners. So we'll, we'll get to that. Seltzers for everyone. That's right. How much money do you actually have? Hey, yeah. man, listen. Hey, I'm buying got a, a new house, house. I got a wedding you coming up. a second mortgage on your house just for this? So we have given out $500 to each of the three of us. The way this is going to work, you have to spend all $500. Yeah, you do. You have to bet a minimum of $100 on each bet that you are placing. So you can place up oh, to five. that's a new rule. No, it wasn't. Oh, it wasn't. But it? you can do just one $500 bet if you want to do it that way. If you're just all in on one thing that is going to happen tonight. So 
Let's start with Alex. Alex, what are your prop bets for tonight for this year's first round of the All NFL right, draft? So I got five bets that okay. I'm putting together, $100 each, and my total payout's going to be $962, boys. Damn. Yeah, that's right. I'm doing this over on the Argosy Sportsbook. Cha-ching. I'm doing Thank mine on you, the buddy. FanDuel Sportsbook. Promo code 101. I don't have a promo code. Sorry, guys. I'm not <laughs> awesome. Okay, the first one. Trey Lance, third overall pick. This is an easy one for me. I've been saying this all along. He has now, you were telling me over on FanDuel, become the the heavy favorite. Yeah, he's minus 160, which means you have to bet $160 to win $100 for him to be the number three overall pick. I'm still going with this one because I'm confident in it and I'm taking advantage of this because I feel like this is going to flip at some point. They're going to go back with Mac Jones. So that's my first one. Trey Lance is the third overall pick. I'm going the first non-quarterback to be drafted. And I'm picking Jamar Chase. Now, Kyle Pitts is the favorite, but I see Atlanta trading that pick to either New England or the Washington football team. Somebody's going to move up for that quarterback because I don't see Atlanta taking the quarterback. They're going to move down over on the sports book at Argosy Casino. It's plus 300. So Jamar Chase is the guy I'm picking as the going first non quarterback drafted. So that's my second bet. Third bet overall wide receivers drafted in the first round. I'm going over four and a half. Oh, okay. Who because, do you think? Who do you got? Well, we all know this. The, the, the j- top j- four. Waddle, Smith, Chase, and then who's Bateman it? is probably Bateman the fourth is the first one. And then I think Tony's going to be the other one going. Okay. And I think that's going to be kind of Tony out of Florida. That's going to be a late pick late in the first round. But I'm picking that's the over four and a half wide receivers taken. So that's three. The next one, the player to be drafted first between Waddle and Smith. I picked Waddle. Okay. I think that's a pretty safe one. I think that's the uh, favorite. And then the fifth one, total quarterbacks drafted in the first round. I'm taking the under five and a half. Oh, yeah. Five and a half. Yeah. I'm kind of surprised that it was that's put really it. high. Yeah. Well, I thought it would be four and a half, which was why I was like, make a little difference. But uh, again, over on the Argosy Sportsbook, minus 590, the under five and a half. So I'm taking it. So real quick, the five again, Jamar Chase, first non-quarterback to be drafted. Trey Lance, third overall pick. Over four and a half wide receivers taken in the first round. Jalen Waddle taking over Devontae Smith. Total quarterbacks drafted in the first round, under five and a half. All right, so my bets on a... Here we go. Uh, I'm not sponsored. And again, $500. <laughs> I gave Tanner $500 for the FanDuel Sportsbook. He's going to win a boatload of money tonight. He's got to spend at least $100 on every bet. He could do one, though, if he wants to just put one bet down for $500. What do you got? So I'm doing four bets. I'm going $200 and then, th- yeah, three $100, man. Can I ask math. you one real quick? Yeah. Did Matt Carpenter give you the 40 bucks? You could put that towards no, it, No, he has not, oh, okay. actually. I'm just making sure. Come on, Carp. See, at least I pay up on my bets. That's true. Yeah. That's true. So my $200 bet is on the FanDuel Sportsbook app. It's half of a running back first round over on that. Oh, wow. I think there's three. I think three guys go in the first round. I think ETN, I think Williams and Harris are all going in the first round. It's probably going to be later in the first round. I don't know if any of those guys will be in the top 20, but I would put $200 on that. And then I'm also going $100 with Trey Lance being the third overall pick, even though I kind of think it might be Mac Jones. I think there's – I'm having trouble actually buying into the fact that Mac Jones is the third overall pick. So maybe that's my $100 of I really just hope it's Trey Lance. (laughs) And then if you really want to get a little bit frisky, if you're feeling a little risky, maybe it's a risk-free bet. Put $100 on the Cowboys to draft a wide receiver. $2,100 plus $2,100. Guys, Jerry Jones, if there's a wide receiver on the board, let's be honest. What's Jerry Jones doing? Guys, we could score 60 points and give up 70, but we could use a wide receiver. 
So I'd love to know where that receiver is going to play with the other three yeah. that they have on their roster. Hey, man, I don't know. He may become like a tight end or something or running back in the backfield. And then the other one that I have $100 on, Patriots draft, draft a quarterback plus 105. Or if you're not feeling that, maybe you go Fields over seven and a half his draft spot for 100 bucks. I would One of those two is where I'd put $100 on. I think the Patriots are going with the quarterback with their first pick. I think it's going to be Fields because I see him dropping down to where they are at 15. So what did you put the $200 on again? That there'd be over half a running back draft in right. the first round. So here's my uh, mine as well. Again, $500 I gave to myself. That's very gracious of you. It's a bet on tonight's NFL draft. I've got three bets. I've got oh. one for $250, oh. one for $150, and one for $100. My $250 bet, all five quarterbacks go within the top eight of this year's draft. All five are off the board within the top eight. Damn, really? I think all five think are gone. People getting traded, traded up. And the reason why I feel that way is because I would bet $100 that there's at least two trade-ups into the top 10 tonight. I think two teams go into the top 10. If I had to predict who they are, I think you're going to see New England as one of them. And I think Washington's going to be trading up. I would not be surprised to see Chicago mortgage the future and say, we're going to go up and we're going to get our quarterback. Who are they going for? Are they going for Fields? Are they I going think they for Lance? Go for whoever is available. Really? I don't think that they care. I think they just even, need to go get trashed. a guy. It worked out in the past, didn't it, Chicago? I mean, they went up, Nailed they traded it. up, and they got their guy. Got him. Trubisky's doing real well out there. Hey, he's doing great Could in be Buffalo. Going better. The next one that I've got for you guys, I'm on the same wavelength as you, Tanner. I'm going to bet $150 that at least two running backs go in the first round. I'll up that line. Forget half a running back. I'll put it at one and a half. I think it goes over that. I think at least two running backs go in the first round. I think I agree with you, Tanner. I would not be surprised if there are three running backs that end up going in the first round tonight. So all five quarterbacks gone within the top eight picks. I wouldn't even be surprised if it's within the top seven picks, honestly. At least two running backs in the first round and at least two teams trade up into the top 10 tonight. Uh, I think there's going to be at least one of those as a quarterback. And there's a lot of buzz about New Orleans coming up potentially for somebody. Where the hell did that come from? A lot of buzz about them trading up for either a corner or a wide I receiver. I guess Taysom. Oh, corner wide receiver. Was yeah. I guess Taysom Hill's kind of run his course, but. There's also this. Are the Packers going to trade up? Was there a report out that they were taking calls on Rodgers today, apparently? Oh, my God. Get, get him a wide receiver. So, according to Jay Glazer, this is not something that I expected to see today. A few teams have called the Packers about trading for Aaron Rodgers. <laughs> oh no no i didn't want that there tom pelicero of nfl network also reporting the 49ers reached out to the packers on wednesday about trading for aaron Rodgers. no formal offer was made and a source said there is quote a zero percent chance end quote that Green Bay deals the former NFL MVP. What the hell would San Francisco do? Mortgage their future for the third overall pick so that they could just trade it to Green Bay for Aaron Rodgers? That's what I don't understand. What so the hell's going on? Did the 49ers just, like, get drunk one night? Kyle Shanahan. <laughs> they drunk dialed the uh, the Dolphins. They were like, hey, y'all want to move back? Because we really want to move back. Hey, I really want that third overall pick. Like, what is going on? <laughs> they were they wanted Mac Jones. Then they were like, oh wow, this Trey Lance guy, we hadn't we didn't even know he was eligible. Didn't think he was coming out of college. 
He's in the draft. And so now. Never even heard of North Dakota. <laughs> Where's North Dakota's in the U.S.? There's a North Dakota state. I thought that was in. I thought that was in Canada. Oh, who's this Justin Fields guy? Did you know that there was an Ohio State guy? I what don't understand what the 49ers are doing. They're just like flailing in the wind at all the quarterbacks that could possibly be accounted for that are not named Jimmy Garoppolo. Next thing's up is going to be, uh, hey, uh, hey, Tampa, one for one. We'll give you Jimmy <laughs> G for Tom Brady right oh, now. There's a 100% chance they've offered that. <laughs> I'm, I'm not reporting that, but that's happening. Does Kyle Shanahan, and I'm curious. Know what he's doing? What? Does no. he know what he's doing? No, That's a fair he question. and John Lynch, do they sit like in the in the draft room and play Madden and just like try and do these trades and be like, nope, didn't accept it. Nope, didn't accept it. Oh, we just got a first round pick for Jimmy G. Call them up. See if they'll do it. See if they'll do it. Hey, if it happened in Madden, they'll surely accept hey, the trade. If it happens in Madden, it happens in real life. They must have dr- just drunk dialed the, the, the Dolphins, right? That's embarrassing. Is that what happened? I promise you, you'll love these picks. Just give me the third overall one. <laughs> I really... Well, they traded cute. up to number three a month before the draft, and now they're just calling everybody to see if they can trade out. It's unbelievable. Better or forget it. Kyle Shanahan forgot that he's in the NFL. Wait, where, where does he think he is? I'd like I'm fantasy land. I don't. Come on now. I'm just, I am in shock. I, I wonder if the odds have changed on the number three overall pick because people don't think that the Fires are taking the number three overall pick. Probably. 49ers forget they even have the pick. You know what the scary part's going to be? They're going to trade back with Denver. Denver's taking oh Mac Jones at, at number After three. they trade for, for Teddy Bridgewater. Like, what are we doing? You know what the scary part is? They're going to be in the Super Bowl this year. Oh, they're really talented. Yeah, I know. They're going to be in the Super Bowl this year. We're all going to be eating crow just like Tanner does when he talks about the Blues. You know who's going to be in the World Series this year? Cardinals, obviously. Max Scherzer. With the Cardinals. We'll talk about that possibility next on 101 ESPN. This is the BK and Ferrario podcast. Now here's BK and Ferrario. Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. Johan Oviedo was great last night. Five innings, allowed three earned runs, had seven strikeouts. And guys, it's even better than the traditional numbers would suggest. He only had four three-ball counts. He got 17 swings and misses. He had 12 chases over the course of the night and only two hard-hit balls all night long. He was fantastic. And that's the type of thing that we were looking for from Oviedo was... Can you show us something that would convince the Cardinals to maybe keep you in the rotation after this six-man rotation situation is um, through? I wanted to bring him up because what he did last night showed us even more improvement from where he was a year ago. He looks like somebody that could be a key cog in the rotation as early as next year, man. So as I was listening and watching MLB Network yesterday, they were talking about a possible Max Scherzer trade. And Mark DeRosa was talking about what that would be like if you were in the Cardinals clubhouse and they were to announce, hey, Max Scherzer is coming to St. Louis. If you saw that door open in the clubhouse and Mad Max walks in, game on. All right? Like, we got a chance to win the whole thing. So the Cardinals aspect, it makes a whole ton of sense. 
I think John Mosellock and the Cardinals want to do everything in their power. I think they realize the NL Central is theirs for the taking. I do think a deadline move, whether it be by the Brewers or the Cardinals, is going to be potentially the difference. So I think that could also be the case. And we've talked, I mean, how many times now about Scherzer being the one that makes a ton of sense. So let's put a little bit of a hypothetical on here. And 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line to get involved in the show. Time for Tanner's super swipes. If at the deadline, the Nationals called you, and you're John Mosellock, put your Mobo tie on for a moment. If they called you and said, hey, we will trade you Max Scherzer for Johan Oviedo and Andrew Kisner, would you do it? Yep, send them right now. Send the paperwork. I'll sign it. Where's the second guess on that? I mean, where's where's the hurt? Johan Oviedo. That one stings. Really? For Max Scherzer, who's probably going to be for two months of Max Scherzer. Oh no, but you're not. You're not good. You're not pulling this off unless you truly feel you can get him locked up. I hear you, but you don't know. You don't know what that when you're trading for him, you would not know for certain that he will be back with St. Louis next year. Now he might be, or maybe the Nationals already have something worked out where they do an Araldis Chapman type of situation. They deal him for prospects, and then they end up bringing him back on a long term deal. I don't know what this, the future would hold. This would be you trading for him for the stretch run from August to whenever the season ends up ending. Um, it, I, if, and I understand that's the hypothetical you're putting out there. And if that is the hypothetical, then no, I'm not doing it. But if it's the hypothetical of, yeah, we'll make that deal. And then while we make that trade, we lock you up for the next three, four years. I'm pulling that trigger without any question. I mean, I get it. Johan Oviedo is 23 years old. I love the passion from this kid, especially hearing Danny Mac talk earlier saying he was ticked off. He wasn't a part of this big league roster, but where does he fit in with kind of the depth system? I know he would fit in well in terms of deep into the rotation, but you know, your top three next season, Dakota Hudson, Jack Flaherty, Miles Michaelis, we assume with miles. And then you have Matthew Levator coming up. You have Zach Thompson coming up. You have a couple of other players in your system, and then you're giving me a multiple Cy Young winner and a World Series champion who is still dealing in Max Scherzer? Yeah, I'm pulling this deal away right now with the understanding that I get him locked up once I trade for him. Yeah, if I'm kind of on the fence because if I, know, if I have the understanding that I can lock him up, it becomes a little more enticing for me. But right now, I would not be willing to move on from Johan Oviedo because I think he has a potential. And next year, I think he's in your rotation Two to three years, he might be your a legitimate two starter for you. Yep. Maybe a solid three, but he, he has potential to be better than Dakota Hudson. Yeah, I agree. I, I love Oviedo's stuff, and this year he's even. And I think Danny Mac talked about it on Danny Mac show with BK about he's got better command of his stuff now too. Last year his stuff was really good. He just didn't have the command. Two games so far this season, I can you can tell the command is better with the off speed with the fastball. I love Oviedo, and guys, we talked about it yesterday. It, this is a tryout for Kisner, who's getting the starts now with Yadi out. But if Kisner plays like this, I find it hard being willing to move on from him. And I understand, well, we've got a Von Herrera in the system. Again, my my point with that would be, I haven't seen what Herrera has done, but I, if I see what Kisner does in the big leagues and I like what I see, it's going to be really hard for me to move on from him to go and acquire a 36-year-old starting pitcher. Yeah, but Herrera's got the same track record, if not better, than what Kisner had throughout the minor league system. I mean, they're talking more about Herrera than than what they were where they were talking Kisner at this time. The problem is, like, I hear what you're saying with that, Alex, but you can't just look at what Kisner's value is to the Cardinals in terms of being on the roster. You also have to look at what would they otherwise be able to get from him in the offseason. If they dangled him in a trade for somebody else in the offseason, 
what kind of back could they get? What kind of arm could they get for him? That is longer than just the two months that you would get from Max Scherzer to answer my own question here. I'm going to go, I'm going to do a typical BK answer, right? Like I'm riding the fence a little bit. If you truly feel if at that point you are a Max Scherzer away from not just competing, but really feeling like you could win a world series, I might make the deal, but even then it'd be really tough to do. Johan Oviedo looks like somebody that could be your number three starter next year. He looks like a guy that projects the way that Jack Flaherty projected whenever he was a young guy. That is not me suggesting that he's going to be Jack. I'm not saying he's going to have a second half of any season the way that Jack did in 2019. But if you remember, Jack Flaherty was a little bit of a late bloomer. He was a guy that was rated below Luke Weaver for a long time in the Cardinals system. And Johan Oviedo similar to Flaherty, has that competitive fire. He has basically everything, both mentally and physically, that you want to see in a legit frontline starting pitcher. It'd be really tough for me to trade that for a guy that I'm getting for two months in terms of the guarantees. Let me ask you guys this. Is, do you believe Johan Oviedo will be anything close to Max Scherzer? No, but I also get like six more, seven more years out of Johan Oviedo. I'm still making the deal for Max Scherzer. I I don't care. He's 36 years old. I mean, the guy's still pitching like he's 30 years old. And if it's for two months, it's for two months. But we know the effect of getting guys into St. Louis and the effect that it has on him. And on top of it, you're bringing in a guy from Missouri who wanted to play here originally. So if it's two months, I think I still take my chance because I feel pretty confident that I could get this guy locked up. And look, Johan Oviedo is, Johan Oviedo is great. And if he has a fantastic career down the road, then, yeah, you look back on it. But I also look at it and say, does Max Scherzer get me a World Series between now and three years from now? I I, I don't know that he's going to be pitching for that much longer. You don't think he's pitching for three more years? He's 36, man. He gives me me the Adam Wainwright vibes, man. It's just really hard to bet on a guy lasting until he's 40. He he very well may. If there's anybody that can do it, I, I would bet on Max Scherzer being the guy. But... I thought Justin Verlander was never going to end up getting hurt. And look what we just saw. He ended up eventually your arm tends to go out. Like the the bet, the safe bet on pitchers is that it happens. And for Scherzer, I, I, I would just be a little concerned about that. I hope it doesn't, but that would be one of my biggest drawbacks of trading for him Two and things, then re-signing him. With, with Verlander, I, I, Verlander's probably going to come back and try and pitch next season based on the way he's talked. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I agree. At some point, the arm is going to fail but i i view serger as a verlander a guy that could pitch close to his 40s i mean i guess he's already close to his 40s by the way it was his age 37 season when it happened for verlander and right now scherzer's 36 yeah that's the concern i could see verlander and scherzer pitching to their about 39 38 39 and on the point of I'll be honest, guys. Drew a blank there for a second you have brain you think scherzer is going to pitch until he's 39 you oviedo do you have a point on him no. Okay. I don't remember what I was Good talking talk. about. Good talk. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service tax line uh, from the 636. This is a really, really good point. If your window to win a championship for Yachty and Wayno is coming to an end, then you have to make the deal for Max and go try to win a ring. I get that. I get that perspective completely. I think that my concern would be, are you mortgaging what you're going to be when I really think your window is opening even more in 2022 and 2023? Are you mortgaging that to be able to win one now when the chances are 
you still have a slim chance of actually going to and winning the World Series in 2021. Because I think next year, 2023, 2024, that window right there, that's when the Cardinals are real World Series uh, competitors. And that's when I think Johan Oviedo is going to be in your rotation. So maybe you think that Max Scherzer is going to be better in that window than Oviedo will. And if that's your opinion on the matter, totally reasonable. I get that perspective. Um, But that's where I would probably differ. I think two years from now, there's a chance that at that point in Oviedo's career, he was better than what Scherzer is at that point in Scherzer's career. That's not me saying he's going to be better than Max Scherzer, but... Yeah, and the other thing that I was going to, after I was able to remember it, after taking a quick second there. Welcome back, Tanner. Thank you. uh, Was that you mentioned how he has the same competitiveness as Adam Wainwright. The thing, the difference that I see between the two is Wainwright doesn't throw hard. Scherzer throws hard. So there's a bigger risk in his arm really blowing out. And I get it. Well, it's hard to predict an injury or say anything like that. But can Scherzer, I mean, I think he can, but can Scherzer pitch like Waino does, where you take off velocity, you don't have what you used to have? Can he do that? I would suspect that he can because, like you said, he's a competitor like Wayno. He's going to figure out a way to win. But that's another thing I think you have to consider, too, if you're going to make a move for a Scherzer. You said you disagreed with the thought that Oviedo would be better? Yeah, I just think in two years, I mean, Oviedo has looked great, but he's still an unknown. And I think Max Scherzer, you know what you're getting out of him, regardless if he's 36 or 39. He's just one of those guys, I feel like, that kind of sets you above the rest and makes you competitive, whereas Johan Oviedo becomes a depth piece for you. It's totally in play. I I think Oviedo is going to be better after what we have seen from him. And it's a very brief period of time. We have seen seven outings. We've seen 34 innings of Johan Oviedo in the big leagues. But from what I've seen so far, I'm pretty convinced that guy's going to be a really good big league pitcher. And I think he has the potential now to be a legit number two starter for a championship type of a contender. So if, if I've got that guy on my roster... Man, it's going to be really hard for me to be willing to part with him, especially for a guy that at best has a couple of years left and at worst you're getting for two months. And just to add for Kisner, Kisner two for three today, two or sorry, two for two today has two of the three Cardinals hits. He's going to be valuable. He's going to be a valuable piece, whether it be in a deal like this or something else that they need in the offseason, or if they just believe that he's going to be their starter next year while they wait on Yvonne Herrera to be prepared for the big leagues. With Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kiley. We'll cross things over with the fast lane next. This is the BK and Ferrario podcast. Now here's BK and Ferrario. Time now for the crossover. Brought to you by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers. Close to home or close to work. For quality tires and expert auto service, you can always count on Dobbs. strong boys i still stick with cook carp matt carpenter just hit a homer that was very nearly caught but put the cardinals up three to one it's the end of the fifth inning for them and with tanner hendrickson and alex frario i'm brandon kiley we're crossing things over with the fast lane anthony stalter in studio what's going on man you guys knew that was gonna happen come on you knew that was the exact scenario you put matt carpenter up in a big time moment and he's going to come through for you. You knew it. You know how you know I'm a fraud? 
is during the break, Tanner and I were talking oh, about the situation, and I was like, I think they're making a mistake here. I don't know that I would put Matt Carpenter in, into this spot. <laughs> and I'm the guy that's been leading the charge on the Let Carp Cook movement. And legitimately the next pitch he homered. Yeah, literally well, five seconds later. But your feelings on that plays to the bigger point of they're going to need, and I know Bader's hurt, but they're going to need to improve their bench at some point. Oh, yeah. Their bench no has question. been a problem. Uh, they were... So Lane Thomas had a single on April 12th. Since then, their bench had gone 0 for 31 with one RBI prior to that home run. Oof. 0 for 31. That's I don't know if you guys know the numbers on those, but that's not great. <laughs> I don't know if you I don't know how much you dive into numbers, but 0, 0 for 31, not great. They did have an RBI. You know, you, you had that sack fly from Austin Dean, and I will forever remember that moment. That Good was the moment when hitting. Tanner was like, hey, Austin Dean needs to get more opportunities. Called oh. him the Deaninator. <laughs> or or the, the text line overruled that, made it, it the Dean machine. It's it was like it's like me with Mike Hoffman. I call him the Hoffinator. Yeah. And Jamie, I don't know if Jamie loves it. I don't know if Jamie loves that that nickname but after last night you gotta you gotta jump on board right i yes you do i'm not allowed on the bandwagon so i can't speak to that but i can't say that yeah if you're a blues fan you should probably be on the bandwagon well at this you point. you hate all local teams so i understand well it's not so much that it's just when i jump onto any bandwagon it like spontaneously combusts it's sure. over for everybody it's kind of like it's the falcons in the super bowl when i jump on the bandwagon i don't know why you got to do it that way but uh sure sounds good hey listen man i'm, I'm a chiefs fan i've had plenty of those experiences as you well. have a super bowl i do it was pretty great you jerk um stoltz what's coming up today on the fast lane man Looking we got Matt. Listening to you yeah, guys. we got Matt Holiday. Well, we will be talking talking a lot of blues hockey from last night. I mean, what a what a victory! So it's, you got back to back games where you you trailed, you battled back, and Jamie brought this up in the office. He's, he's absolutely right. Craig Berube just called this team fragile, and now you've got two inspiring victories there in in that manner. So great stuff there. So we'll, we'll look at the Blues, uh, Cardinals. We'll dive back into last night a little bit. I know they're playing right now, but Oviedo, it's awesome and. Obviously, what happened with Henesis Cabrera a little bit later. So we'll get BT's take on that. Tim Taylor, director of player development. For the Blues. For the Blues. Kim, you know, with Clem Costin, that season done. When is he going to join? What role? Things like that. And like I said before, Matt Holiday is going to join us as well. Quick question before we get you out of here. If the Nationals called you at the trade deadline, the Cardinals are leading in the NL Central. They feel like they've got a shot. That's where they are at the time. And they say, we will trade you Max Scherzer. You give us Johan Oviedo and Andrew Kisner. And there's no guarantee Scherzer's going to resign. You've got him for the next two months. It's the final year of his deal. Are you doing that if you're John Mosaylock? Oviedo and Kisner. No, I need, I need, it's, it's got nothing to do with, with Scherzer. It's got everything to do with Kisner and the, the lack of cost control with Scherzer. If, if Scherzer was signed, or if, or if anybody for that matter was signed, Great, but Kisner, I think Kisner's going to be, if if they do go that route, I think he could be a centerpiece for a trade. See, and I'm that way with Johan Oviedo as well. I think Oviedo might be, I think he might be a future number two, number two or number three starter for a good team. I think I'm there with him. It'd be great. It'd be, It'd be great awesome. for the Cardinals, too. For, for Tanner Hendrickson and Alex Ferrario, I'm Brandon Kiley. If you missed anything from today's show, check it out on the podcast page, 101ESPN.com, the free 101 ESPN app. Enjoy the Cardinals game. Enjoy the NFL draft tonight. Enjoy the fast lane coming up from 2 to 6. We'll be back tomorrow at 11 on 101 ESPN. I don't need to be sucking on something while I'm going out. You've been listening to the BK and Ferrario podcast, powered by I Promise. This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. 
That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.